0: To 10. won't be seen tonight, so we can bring you a very special episode of the Gen X Files. Welcome to the Gen X Files. I'm Jim. I'm Adam. And today's show is all about
1: Star, Star Wars. Wars, Episode, episode four, four: A New Hope. Hope. <laughs> or, technically, when it came out, it was just Star Wars. Yeah, baby.
0: Yeah. You know.
1: Or THE Star Wars, as it was originally known. Yeah. But it was never released as the Star Wars.
0: No, but a lot of parents were like, you are going to go see the Star Wars?
1: <laughs> Probably the best choice he ever made was dropping the "the" yeah. from Star, the Star Wars. Do you
0: want to go see a Star War?
1: Yeah. Oh, we got my Star War at home.
0: We you got your Star War at home.
1: <laughs> uh, yeah, it's so much fun to go back. It's May. And yeah. It's uh, May the 4th. Be with you, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> or whatever that day is in uh, May, uh, the fourth. Yeah, uh, and then the Revenge I of the Fifth know. is the CF. That's right. Uh, but all the movies were released in May, uh, so May is Star Wars month. The original ones. Yeah, the the newer it? ones were not. They were released before Christmas in yeah. December. Yeah.
0: That, was, that wasn't their only problem.
1: Well, sure.
0: <laughs> well, we're not going to get into the sad stuff about uh, Star Wars. This is all the celebration no. of the this greatest. Is, this movie. is about
1: the first. And arguably the best.
0: Yeah. I mean, the movie came out, just kind of disappeared. Yeah. No, it never happened. It was basically just a Star Crash ripoff.
1: Never heard from George Lucas again. No, nope, nope. It was... Uh, Who's this
0: Harry, Harry Ford guy that they... Harry Ford. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was... Uh, it was... It just came and went. There was
1: some, some Nepo baby playing the princess. Yeah. Like I mean, it was... Uh, yeah. You guys, most of you probably haven't heard of this, but
0: uh, <laughs> so this will be a whole new thing for you. Yeah.
1: Well, uh, take yourself back to 1977. Yeah. January 8th, three bombs explode in Moscow within 37 minutes, killing seven people. The bombings are attributed to an Armenian separatist group. Okay. They didn't want to be part of Russia anymore. I get it. So they were the... Separatists. Rebels. Yeah, well, yeah. The separatists. Yeah, yeah rebels. <laughs> in this in this vernacular, rebels, yes. February 18th, American Space Shuttle Program, first test flight of Space Shuttle Enterprise, mated to these Boeing 747 shuttle carrier aircraft.
0: And then they had little baby space shuttles nine months later. Yeah,
1: yeah. They, they all went into space. Because they were mated. Can you ever have a chance down, and tell you, the uh, um, Natural History Museum here in L.A. has one of the space shuttles uh, set up, and it is. One of the most awe-inspiring things I've ever seen. Oh,
0: yeah. I it's remember so when
1: cool. they were driving that thing oh, yeah. through town. It was crazy. It took like 65 hours because <laughs> <laughs> so, it was going four miles an hour. It's big. Yeah, it was big. Uh, it's co- so cool, though. Uh, April 22nd, optical fiber is first used to carry live telephone traffic. Okay. 1977. I, for some reason, thought it was like 20 years later. Yeah.
0: Well, I, I mean, didn't realize it, it was that early. Well, it, it wasn't widely used,
1: right? No, I, but I think it was the, the way that they made uh, the calls between trans... Atlantic calls sound right. better. It was through optical fiber. Nice. Yeah. Uh, May twenty fifth, nineteen seventy seven. Star Wars opens. <laughs> it was a uh, Wednesday. It was one of the first movies to uh, open before a holiday on the holiday weekend.
0: Yeah, they you, you there are all these previews now, and everything opens on a Wednesday or if yeah. it's Friday, it's a Thursday night or bleep. Right. But uh, back then. It was uh it was not common. No, cuz movies all. were just movies, you know. Yeah, they would you go see them and it'd be fine. Yeah. But after Jaws came out, yeah. then they were like, "Okay, we we have events now."
1: Yeah. And this this definitely uh, benefited from that for sure. So Star Wars starts with George Walton Lucas Jr.
0: Yeah. Good old,
1: good old Wally Lucas Jr. <laughs> hey, Wally. Uh he was uh, born and raised in Modesto, California. That's why he's so boring. Because <laughs> he's from Modesto. Oh God, yes. Part of the Stockton, uh, Modesto, Sacramento triangle. Yeah, is just, it's just—it's the triangle of boringness. Right. It's like—it's
0: like if there was a Bermuda Triangle where everything was just super <laughs> dull. That would be that triangle. Yeah, well, Have you ever spent a week? The most—the most boring weekend I've ever spent in my life was in Sacramento, California. Yeah. There's yeah. nothing. Everybody
1: leaves because you know why. Because it's Sacramento, California. It's the triangle of boringness. Oh, his family attended Disneyland during its opening week in 1955. They all went down there to Disneyland. Nice. Yeah. Yeah. It was Walt was there. I just think it was interesting that eventually Lucas would sell his entire soul to Disney. Yeah. Well, his <laughs> entire works. I know. I know. Yeah, I got a piece of that. I know. Yeah, I know. Uh, Lucas was obsessed with race cars growing up. Uh, he spent most of his high school years racing in an underground circuit. A few days before high school graduation, Lucas was driving his souped-up Auto Bianchi Bianchina when another driver broadsided him, flipping his car several times before crashing into a tree. Not as Auto Bianchi Bianchina. I know. Lucas's seatbelt had snapped, ejecting him from the car and saving his life. Nice. If he had stayed in the car, he would have died, and we wouldn't have had Star Wars. No, no Star Wars. None of the Star Wars. Uh, However, his lungs were bruised from severe hemorrhaging, and he required emergency medical treatment. And surprisingly enough, he lost interest in racing after the accident and focused on another obsession of his movies.
0: I don't like it anymore. (laughs) It's It's dumb. His racing's dumb. You can
1: imagine a pretty bad accident that almost killed you Uh, would probably change your mind about it. Well, good, because... You know, if we didn't have that accident, we wouldn't have had Star Wars. No, he would have been a failed car. The
0: greatest race car driver ever. You know, he's
1: he's a very determined
0: young man, Adam. Sure. I'm sure whatever he had decided to do, he would have been successful at.
1: Well, I like drivers that don't get broadsided. All right, Trump. (laughs) (laughs) After a couple of years at a junior college and making some short films, Lucas transferred to the USC film school. While there, he shared a dorm room with Randall Kleiser, who would go on to direct Grease in 1978. Oh my God! For a second, I was like, "That's not it at all." <laughs> uh, I just—it's really fascinating because so many—he was in school with so many people during the late 60s, yeah. uh, like Walter Murch, Hal Bar- Barwood, and John Milius. Uh, the group of friends became a clique of film students known as the Dirty Dozen.
0: Yeah, <laughs> dozen, a quarter dozen.
1: Uh, yeah, I mean, look. It's just because I didn't shower at
0: all. Gross. The, uh, <laughs> well, it's, that's, it's not, that's very typical in film mm-hmm. school. Yeah. At, least, at least back then, because you had a lot more work to do. Oh, yeah. Because you had to work with film. Everything took 10 times as long. Good Lord, man. <laughs> you guys don't know how easy I have it to Man, when I worked with film, oh, as, yeah. as great as it was, it was just one nervous breakdown after another.
1: Oh, yeah, because if that, if something happened to that film, that was it. Yeah. You were done.
0: Oh, yeah, And especially if it's, like, your final project. Right. And you don't have the money. You no, have to spend money no. on film. Right, on right. On processing. Yeah. On daily. You know, everything cost money oh, back yeah. then. And... Whew. you you, you,
1: you couldn't just hit your backups.
0: Maybe oh, those three <laughs> okay, days was, when yeah. you turned that oh, yeah. film until you got it back, it was just oh, nailed by city.
1: Well, yeah, because especially, like, you know that sometimes the developers, Kodak, would sometimes screw it up, mess your film up, and it's like... Or you, you didn't know?
0: catch your hair in the gate. Right. Or you didn't, right. you know, or some weird thing, you know. Bad it,
1: exposure or something, yeah. yeah.
0: Well, one of my films, uh, it, it, it ended up being out of sync. Oh, no. The Magstock. Yeah. And so I had to spend... Oh god, yeah. 5 days I think. No, oh, wow. Shaving frames. Not just wow. me, my other guys too. Yeah. My, my partners too. But we had to shave frames for like a Ugh. week to get there. Uh,
1: and we did it. So much easier now. We can just hit control B or <laughs> blade It yes, cuts exactly. off. You yeah, You don't have to put on the white glove, and <laughs> get on your steam back machine and George yes. Lucas would end up uh befriending Steven Spielberg during this time as well. Uh, I, I, don't I don't think Spielberg was part of the dirty dozen. No. Uh, Probably because he showered Right, well (laughs) (laughs) But there's nothing that I found that said he was part of that group Which is ironic because he certainly came on Him and Lucas obviously went to become the most successful filmmakers in the history of USC After graduating with a Bachelor of Fine Arts in film in 1967 He tried joining the United States Air Force as an officer But he was immediately turned down because of his numerous speeding tickets We don't want you
0: because you First of all,
1: that seems kind of (laughs) dumb Because you got to go fast in the Air Force. And this was like Vietnam's happening right now. Like, if there's somebody that's like, hey, man, I'm going to do this. Oh, I'm sorry,
0: sir. You're you're morally reprehensible with all of your speeding tickets. It obviously
1: shows you're reckless. And you abandon all responsibility. And you
0: have
1: no respect for authority. Yeah. Uh, He was later drafted by the Army for military service because apparently they're not as strict as the Air Force. We don't care about tickets. Uh, (laughs) But, well, they just need bodies, we just need them. (laughs) Can I don't you, want to say cannon fodder,
0: but cannon fodder. Can
1: you hold a gun? And you don't have flat feet? You're in. Let's can go. You, can you run? <laughs> but he was exempted from service after medical tests show he had diabetes, the disease that killed his paternal grandfather. Diabetes. I didn't know that diabetes would get you, I mean, I guess it makes sense, but it'd get you out of service. Well, like. yeah, because,
0: I mean, diabetes, like the different stages of diabetes. Yeah. But yeah. it is, it, it's a... It's a chronic disease. Right, right. You know, you don't want to be out on the battlefield and have your (laughs) – Suddenly need a Snickers bar. go (laughs) down, (laughs) yeah, and be like, like, oh, my God. What's wrong with Johnson? He just needs needs some sugar. Give him some sugar. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) His insulin levels are low. Uh, so get him some crackers. <laughs> get some crackers. You have to carry, like, and little oranges. packages of oranges. little dried orange crackers with them.
1: Here's your mandarins, George. Eat them.
0: Get Lucas a snack pack.
1: <laughs> He's looking a little peaking. Okay, I, I get now why diabetes should <laughs> really accept you from service. <laughs> it makes sense. Uh, So he actually went back to USC as a graduate student, and while there, created the short film Electronic Labyrinth THX 11384EB, which won first prize at the 1968 National Student Film Festival. He also, at that time, when he was at USC, did a lot of these really, really incredible
0: documentary-style films Yeah. where, if you have a chance, look these up, because it shows his technical prowess, Mm -hmm. his editing prowess. It's just the way he puts these things together is unlike anything that had ever been done before then. Yeah. And yeah. they're extremely effective if you have a chance.
1: Yeah. He was, he was like, seemed like he was going heavy into documentary. He was actually a cameraman on Gimme Shelter, the, the Rolling Stones oh, yeah. documentary. Uh, but I, uh, I, I think it's because he met Coppola and they started working together that he kind of veered away from the documentary style. Well, he's a gearhead man. Yeah. I mean, he was a gearhead oh, with yeah. cars and that yeah. doesn't change.
0: He's a gearhead right. with cameras and gear. Right. And say what you want about George Lucas his main contribution to the industry is tech.
1: Oh yeah, yeah, Whether for it's sure. The sound of movies, the right, book of movies, right.
0: special effects of movies. Oh yeah, he was uh, always Steadicam. He's know. he's
1: very similar to Cameron that way. Where it's like, well, I have an idea. You can't do it yet, so we'll figure it out. And, yeah, and we'll make it happen. Well,
0: I'll just invent it.
1: Yeah, yeah. Why not? It doesn't exist. I'll Why just not? make it. Yeah. Innovation. It's nice. I'm yeah, sure. I mean, yeah. look, the guy
0: uh, changed cinema forever, and not just with. Creating Star Wars. But no, no, but yeah, the underlying of ILM and and THX and stuff. Yeah. I remember when THX started in theaters. Same, same. And how incredible
1: it was. Oh man, that opening, the the yeah, it was like it was like bone shaking. I was like, oh my god, like. Sa- Sound can sound like that, yeah. Like it was crazy, yeah. yeah. And it just kept getting better and better, yeah. So he was awarded because he won uh, the best film uh, for his short film. He was awarded a student scholarship by Warner Brothers to observe and work on the making of a film of his choosing. That's a really cool thing. Do they that still is, do that today? I don't think so. That's dumb. Yeah, I, I know that there's definitely like scholarships and things that the studios still do. Yeah. but I don't think they get this involved.
0: Well, I remember.
1: I'm a member. <laughs> you a member too? <laughs> I'm a
0: member. When I was in school, I had to find. My internship. Right. Like, they didn't really right. have a thing. And l- luckily, my roommate's sister worked for Corman. Right. And she was right. able to get me the internship right there. So it was, I was a Nepo baby. Or a, an adjacent
1: Nepo. Yeah. I mean, I didn't, I, I went to school in Iowa. There was nothing. Yeah. <laughs> like, there was nothing you could do. Well, you go I, like- do the news teams or something, right? Yeah, I mean, I worked, I worked for news stations and stuff, but like it was, it was because of friends that I knew from Iowa that came out here and got jobs that I got jobs, right? You know, I mean, that was that was totally it.
0: Well, that's look, it, anybody who's thinking about coming out to Hollywood for whatever reason, know this: you need to know somebody oh, to have yeah. a career. It you, doesn't matter how good you are. You not a meritocracy. To, it sucks. You have it, to know it's somebody. Not a meritocracy. It is all who you know. It is a very gatekeeper business, which blows. It's better now because of YouTube and TikTok, and sometimes these guys can, yeah can they create can their pop own in. stuff yeah yeah you know like uh, Quinta Brunson who kind of right rose to fame on was it BuzzFeed BuzzFeed
1: she yeah she was she did her own thing for a while got hooked on BuzzFeed and then and then or hooked up with BuzzFeed and then and then you know obviously it's now she's on the Black Lady Sketch Show yeah I mean she created Abbott Elementary yeah. like she's she's brilliant but. She's, a, uh, <laughs> she's the exception to the rule, unfortunately. And that doesn't mean that she didn't know somebody exactly. at BuzzFeed or she didn't, you know, I mean, who knows, you know. But
0: just, if you're going to come out here, get your chops. Yeah. Get your, get your schmoozy chops going. Yes. And, uh, and, and do everything you can to meet people. And, and be a genuinely nice person. Don't be a fake yes. Look, honestly, the fakeos make it, you know. I, they if they you, can, yeah. If you want to be a sociopath, you'll probably get a quicker <laughs> path to it, but you won't last. Right.
1: But if you're a good person and you make it that way, then you will last. because people will want to work people, with you. Yes, that is the key is that you want to keep working with people and you want them to keep working with you. Right. Yeah. Don't be a jerk. Don't be a jerk. Easy peasy. Just be prepared for that moment when you have the chance and then, uh, and then run with it. Yeah, yeah. Be prepared. And if you're listening to us right now, we're in Hollywood. So now you know us. Yeah, and we're super successful. <laughs> we run this town. Uh, so the film he chose was Finian's Rainbow, which was being directed by Francis Ford Coppola, a USC graduate that was revered by USC students as having "quote unquote" made it in Hollywood. Oh, he made it! He made it in he Hollywood. Did. Well, I he f- was working on features; he was directing features. Well, Finian's I mean, Rainbow was a big ass movie. It was yeah. wasn't that
0: Sean Connery?
1: I think so. Yeah, Sean yeah. I mean, it was. And like he going I mean, after was. a leprechaun like he or
0: something, wasn't it? Like a
1: I don't know. I didn't look up the. <laughs> I don't remember. I know I've seen it. I don't remember Finian's it. Rainbow. Yeah.
0: I'm going to assume
1: it's Sean Connery chasing a leprechaun. That's going to be my... Ooh, come get me, Sean Connery. <laughs> get, me pack, get me gold and me, and me lucky charms, a okay. Connery. <laughs> yes, I'm coming for your charms. So uh, apparently Coppola and Lucas hit it off, uh, so they co-founded American Zoetrope, a film company, and Coppola convinced Lucas that his award-winning short would make a great feature. He was right, and American Zoetrope, man, what a... Oh yeah,
0: Tootsie Hootsie name, by the way.
1: I know, I know, it's really funny. American Zoetrope. I, I knew them through. Uh, they did some movies in the '90s that I knew it was Coppola. I didn't realize that Lucas co-founded it with him. Yeah, I was. I didn't know that either until. It, yeah, know. it was. It was. The, their main purpose was to do stuff outside of the the yes. studio production, like like to do stuff outside the studio. Yes, and to own their own right, projects, right,
0: right. And, to, and to foster that. Creativity and artistry Yeah, let the them let
1: them have more control Yeah, usually don't Right uh, THX 1138 Or THX 1138 How did, was it normally? It's 1138 1138, alright THX 1138 was released in 1971 And gained critical praise But was a financial failure It's a really good movie You
0: should check it out It's got uh, uh, Robert Duvall Robert Duvall stars in it And it's a great performance by him And it's also so much fun to see a young Robert Duvall It. it
1: yeah and, and it is, it's is—it's moody, and it's shot really well. Yeah. It's it, its a slow burn, but it's so good. It's a very dystopian yeah. view of the future. And it, a lot of
0: Lucas's stuff up until then was very, I'm not going to say revolutionary, like revolutionary, yeah, but it yeah. was very uh, counterculture. It was very yeah. against the establishment. Like all of his documentary stuff was either anti-war yeah. or anti-this, and he had a, a, a way of doing it that was extremely impactful. And so he, like most of the guys back then, we're
1: very uh, socially conscious about yes, their work. Yes, it was. It's obvious this is a film of its time. It's an uh, analogy for or allegory for you know Vietnam and mm-hmm. like Fascism, where the world was going yes. and how bad it could get. It's got yeah. hint, uh, tinges of nineteen eighty four yeah. and all sorts of. Other. It's a great. It's a great movie. It's it shot is. really well. Uh, shortly after release of THX eleven thirty eight, Lucas started his own film company, Lucasfilm. Ooh, I wonder where we got that name. <laughs> Uh, So, around this time, Lucas decided that he wanted to direct a big-screen adaptation of the Flash Gordon serials he loved watching as a kid. Sweet! It would be great! I would be down for Flash Gordon. Flash Gordon! I mean, which eventually there was a Flash Gordon. I'm Emperor Ming. I'm (laughs)
0: coming to get you, Flash Gordon. And that lady whose name I forget who was the Flash Gordon lady...
1: (laughs) The Flash Gordon lady, that's her full name. Ming the Merciful. Or Merciless? Merciless. Uh,
0: Nope. He's merciful.
1: Well, I would do this more to you, but I am Ming the Merciful, so I'm going to let you go. Mm, You can go. (laughs) It's okay. So he tried obtaining the rights to the original serials, but they were tied up with Dino De Laurentiis.
0: Damn it, Dino De Laurentiis just ruins
1: everything. He literally just went out and bought the rights to almost everything. Oh, yeah. He was just so much stuff. De Laurentiis
0: was... The De Laurentiis company was huge, man, up yeah. through the 90s, and I remember oh, I would yeah. go to De Laurentiis all the time when I would go to the oh, yeah, yeah, because he, Lucas still had a, a, a working relationship with the company. Mm-hmm. Uh,
1: Lucas, about this, Lucas said,
0: I wanted to make a Flash Gordon movie with all the trimmings, but I couldn't obtain the rights to the characters. So I began researching and went right back and found where Alex Raymond, who had done the original Flash Gordon comic strips and newspapers, had got his idea from. I discovered that he got his inspiration from the works of Edgar Rice Burroughs and especially from his John Carter of Mars series books. I read through that series, then found that what had sparked Burroughs off was a science fantasy called Gulliver of Mars, written by Edward Arnold and published in 1905. That was the first story in this genre that I had been able to trace. Jules Verne's got pretty close, I suppose, but he never had a hero battling against space creatures or having adventures on another planet. A whole new genre developed from that idea.
1: Coppola, who had tried helping Lucas get the rights to Flash Gordon, was a little more honest about Lucas's reaction to not obtaining the rights. George was
0: very depressed because he had just come back and they wouldn't sell him Flash Gordon. And he says, well, I'll just invent my own. Oh, my heart. I think I'm having a heart attack.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's, it's all the wine. Uh, Lucas secured a two-film development deal with uh, United Artists. The two films were American Graffiti and a space opera tentatively titled The Star Wars. The and, Star Wars. And inspired by Flash Gordon. Is, uh, is, that, is that like the, the Star Wars inspired yeah. by Flash Gordon? Probably. I wouldn't be surprised. <laughs> uh, believing that the bleak tone of THX 1138 led to its poor reception, Lucas chose to make Star Wars more optimistic. We talked about this. This is, this is why Star Wars is so successful. Yeah. Because he did, in a
0: time in the 70s, everything was pretty bleak. Especially yeah, sci-fi. Oh yeah. oh sci-fi yeah. was all Omega Man and Soylent, Soylent Green. Yeah. And, <laughs> And people, Uh, so it agrees people, right? Um, (laughs) if you didn't know. Uh, But so making the the choice to have such an unapologetically heroic, positive movie with unapologetic heroes that are heroes.
1: They are doing what's right.
0: Which is a huge risk back then. Yeah. And if any one of the key things didn't work, whether it was story, special effects, music... Or the actors. Yeah. This movie would have failed. Yeah, But everything came together in a way to make one of the most classic movies ever made in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah. It, it's really impressive how how it all came together. It is, but it's also luck. But it was this choice yeah. that he made yes. that made Star Wars right. the juggernaut that it is. Which is
1: ironic because it seems like George Lucas is a pretty sad sack all the time.
0: <laughs> yeah, I'm not that sad.
1: I'm that's, what, shy. that's what was missing from your your uh, impression of him was he just needed to take it down sad a notch. Well, he that was when he was younger and he was still pretty yeah. well
0: optimistic. He, well, yes, well, he's yes. sad about not getting Flash
1: Gordon. <laughs> yeah, he was sad. About he it just seems him. like a very. It's really funny because I love George Lucas, but he just seems like a very kind of low energy guy. He okay. I have met George a few times, sure, because
0: I work I worked I worked with him. You know, yeah, yeah. I worked for him for him uh, yes. for. Almost for two company. decades yep. yeah and uh he's a super nice guy oh, I'm sure but just shy he's just a shy guy yeah he's just kind yeah. of okay. like the funny thing is is they would have these elaborate parties these rap parties for mm. you know there was a great one for casper the friendly ghost that was in yeah. the Fillmore or, you know, all the Star Wars movies you have these giant parties after watching the screening at the – first at the ranch and then at the Presidio. Right, and right. Great, just giant parties, great food, great everything, amazing. But you would just like run across Lucas just kind of in the corner.
1: Right. You know, sipping on a Diet Coke or something yeah, and, and just –
0: Hey George! Hey. hey!
1: Hey.
0: You Having a good time?
1: God, that would uh, so be me at parties like that.
0: I mean, we just kind of like at the last at the last Star Wars screening, I just kind of bumped into him. Yeah. Uh, with my friend T. T was mm-hmm. with me, and we just kind of had a car. You know, we just stopped, like talk, had this... stop, talk to him. Yeah, and it wasn't like, who was George? Yeah, just yeah. Like, hey, uh, yeah. What do you guys think of the ham?
1: Yeah, mm, it's pretty ham? tasty. Huh?
0: <laughs> we got That that uh, was from a farm in Modesto. <laughs> Great. <laughs> But no, a really nice.
1: Sure, sure. He's just unaffected by any of that. I could see. I could see being shy. I could see how that could lead people to think that he is. He's kind of standoffish and like
0: he's he's a craftsman
1: you know it's like a guy that builds cabinets all of a sudden getting
0: hugely famous right right he's not comfortable with that aspect of it he just wants to make cabinets man yeah
1: he just wants to tell some stories i just want to tell some stories (laughs) so united artists read the script for american graffiti but they chose to pass on it and it was snatched up by universal Smashed. Yeah. Uh, Lucas spent the next two years making American Graffiti, with it being released in 1973. American Graffiti would end up making $140 million off a $777,000 budget, making it one of the most profitable films ever made. Yeah, it was, it was the perfect
0: time, and this is kind of the beginning of nostalgia. Oh, yeah. Because if you look at it, you know, we always go about 20 years back. With yeah, with our nostalgia, you know, in yeah. the '80s it was like the '60s. You know, yeah. we we're all wearing tie dye and
1: wishing we were at Woodstock. Right. You know, and then in the '2000s it's the '80s. Yeah, and, it, everything cycles. Yeah. Right. But the point is, American Graffiti was set in a more innocent time. Right. And and it was about that nostalgia for that time before yeah. we had a decade of war and all this shit stuff that 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 at that time Americans hadn't really dealt with, like. You know, World War II happened and everyone was around that knew about is, yeah, it. But, but this it was is, different. Yeah. This yeah. is before Vietnam turned into the quagmire that it did
0: and before the country rose up against it start protesting yeah. and yeah. knew what was wrong. It was also the the best nostalgia films hit the beats, man. Yeah. yeah. And it was the car culture that he yes. totally yes. just nailed. And the fact that people just souped up their their cars and just drove around yeah I, rem- I remember yeah in my hometown there at saturday night people oh, would yeah. just cruise yeah. you still go cruising right right in the 80s late yeah. 70s early 80s people yeah. were
1: still cruising oh yeah and oh it was yeah was just
0: like it's people don't go cruising oh i, mean, I-
1: in the '80s, growing up, there was a certain loop in downtown Des Moines that they would—the police would have to shut it down every Friday and Saturday night because they'd just be racing around, and
0: they were just slow. They were just slowly. This is the funny thing: is the opposite is happening now. So it used to be just a bunch of people slowly <laughs> right. showing off their cars, yeah.
1: Because it was now it's yeah, now street racing and everybody yeah. going crazy. The drag strip in front of the Gen X headquarters. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, it's it, it actually was it's funny because I went I was at Universal in Florida uh, a couple months ago and got to see a bunch of the cars from oh, yeah. American Graffiti got a bunch of video of it I'll post some it, they're so they're so cool they're well so that cool. like Harrison Ford's
0: yellow roadster is
1: like the most iconic I yeah.
0: think and it was just in in the in the car hops. Yeah. You know, sitting out there and having the, the girls on the roller skates yeah, bringing you your burgers. and your, a milkshake. <laughs> and everybody just jumping from car to car and having a good time. And there were all these really fun stories. There's no real plot to
1: this movie. No. It's no. just it's basically. Just a series of vignettes, essentially. Let's just spend a night in yeah. Modesto, California yeah. Yeah. with a bunch of kids. <laughs> it was great. It was great. It made a huge amount of money. Uh, yeah. And it
0: started Happy Days, and which started oh, and the it, and Shirley. It, it really
1: which, did start the nostalgia wave, oh, yeah. for sure. Yeah.
0: Yeah. And I think this was like the first real Nostalgia wave, and then it just kept going after that. Yeah. They were like, okay, let's cash in. People love
1: this. Let's do it. People like to remember when they were young and happy. (laughs) So it was nominated for five Academy Awards, which I honestly was not aware of. Um, Oh, yeah. Including Best Editing, Best Screenplay, Best Supporting Actress for Candy Clark, Best Director for Lucas, and Best Picture. And it won none of them. Oh. Yeah. It's disappointing. It is. But, I mean,
0: think about being nominated for... Five Academy, your film is nominated. The first movie you make out of the
1: gate. And he was, I want to say at that point, I think he was, because he was born in 44, so he would have been... 25? uh, 26? 73, 29. 29? 29. But, But still, I mean, to be in your late 20s and be nominated for... Best picture and best director? Like, that's crazy. Well, back then,
0: life
1: life expectancy was much less. So if you didn't make it by
0: 26, you were done. You were done. Old man. Old man 29.
1: This isn't Logan's run, Jim. It should be. (laughs) So Lucas began writing in January 1973, eight hours a day, five days a week, on his The Star Wars. Uh, He compiled a two-page synopsis titled Journal of the Wills. With an H, Whills, Wheels, uh, Wheels, which, which told the tale of the training of apprentice C.J. Thorpe <laughs> as a Jedi Bendu space commando by the legendary Mace Windy. All right, I'm C- All right, C.J. Thorpe.
0: are starting C.J. To...
1: Thorpe C. is the C. most J. non-Star Wars C. name it I can sounds, think of.
0: Sounds like the 1968 Heisman Trophy winner. <laughs> it does.
1: Yeah, it yes. does. Hand on the field, C.J. Thorpe. Mace Windy.
0: Mace Windy.
1: I will say, Lucas, he's really good at changing things. Names for the better. Yeah, I, look. Mace Windy? Lame. Mace Windu? I mean, sweet. look at THX
0: 1138. Yeah. It was electronic playground. THX 1138 4EB. <laughs> and then he, you know. Well, like, he, all right. Yes. He... He starts off a little complicated. (laughs) He does. And and then he has friends. He edits himself
1: well, which he would continue to do with all of his movies for the rest of time. Which is very smart, because Star
0: Wars wouldn't be Star Wars if it wasn't for Spielberg and Coppola and his buddies that gave him notes, you know? it's like. It's the same thing with their movies. These guys were very tight. Yeah, yeah. Scorsese was part of that group. You know, Yeah, they, they all were. these
1: really brilliant filmmakers. They were very supportive. They were always about trying to make everything better. Yes, yeah. and they did. And they oh, all they were did.
0: successful, super successful. I mean, there's never been a time I can think of where a group, and, and, and even the this Dirty Dozen group is super successful, a group of filmmakers that... You know, we're almost like a Algonquin roundtable situation right, right.
1: that were all so successful. I don't... It's, it's very... It's like... Um, I don't remember the name of it, but this group in, like, Paris. It was yes. a bunch of writers, mm-hmm. and they all just happened to hang out all the time, but they were all insanely successful. Right. Like, you know...
0: Well, this was also the first kind of generation of film students.
1: Like, most right. of the directors... Right. Just kind of figured it out. Yeah, they were stage people that yeah. would come in and be like, "Well, let's go use this camera thing or whatever." It was a film school, and this really was the first time with with Lucas and the Dirty Dozen where they were really digging into like the technology of it and like oh, yeah. what can we do with it.
0: Yes, and then and also with story, seeing mm-hmm. how they could affect society yes. right. in different ways. Right, right. With these stories, a, yeah, you know? yeah, exactly. So it's 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 a time unlike any other. I mean, I guess you could kind of say that. There was kind of that renaissance in the 90s, you know, when you had uh, uh, Tarantino and... Yeah, Kevin Smith and, and these, Smith these younger and, independent guys, and, yeah. Uh, Rodriguez yeah. and, you know, all these guys that kind of came up together and had that same kind of sensibility. right. right. But their films were just more like... Violence, baby! <laughs> See how, how bloody and how their, many... Their, their response <laughs>
1: to the Reagan 80s was to kill everything. Yes, I get it. I, I mean, yes, it makes sense. So uh, Lucas was frustrated that his story was too difficult to understand. Apparently a Jedi Bendu named C.J. Thorpe is difficult. Uh, so he wrote a 13-page treatment called The Star Wars on April 17th, 1973, which had a narrative parallels to Kurosawa's 1958 film, The Hidden Fortress.
0: Uh, I can't seem to crack this. I'll just rip off a really good movie.
1: Yeah, well, you know. You've got to steal from the best. <laughs> if you're going to steal, steal from the best. <laughs> I mean, that's the way to do it. Lucas and Coppola started shopping the treatment around. United Artists turned it down. Universal turned it down, not thinking Lucas could pull it off. Yeah. Uh, they wanted him to do more movies like American Graffiti, thinking that science fiction had no future in the film industry. Well,
0: they were right
1: at the time, because yeah. what was
0: coming out? What was there pre-'77? That was like, you know...
1: Zardoz. And,
0: well, and yeah, you know, well, it was
1: like 1969 70s, oh, but sure. it's but it's, it's it was sci fi that was kind of weird and like yes, very or niche. Omega Man in the yeah. 70s
0: or Planet it, of the Apes, it, it didn't or... have
1: broad appeal.
0: No, it didn't also didn't have a gimmick like Planet of the Apes, where it's like, oh, right, Planet of the Apes. right, so right. they didn't understand. And science fiction up until that point was like horror, it was like the redheaded stepchild of yeah. the film industry. Yeah. It was for B movies and for drive ins and, right. you know, right. The Man with Six Brains. It was right. just garbage.
1: Yeah, yeah, that's true. Coppola brought the project to a division of Paramount Pictures he ran with fellow directors Peter Bogdanovich and William Friedkin. Uh, but Friedkin questioned Lucas's ability to direct the film, and he, along with Bogdanovich, declined to back it. Dummies. Yeah, they that's jealous, really yeah. Rude. <laughs> <laughs> both uh, amazing filmmakers, by the
0: way. Oh, yeah. Compl- oh, yeah, totally. Last Picture Show is yeah. unreal. And uh, oh, the, the Exorcist. Freaking Exorcist. <laughs> yeah.
1: Didn't you do the French Connection, too? Was that freaking? I think so, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, they were both obviously very established, very good directors. Yeah. Disney turned it down due to the high budget they were asking. Gary Kurtz, the producer, was convinced they could make it for around $8 million. Uh, at that time, it was a lot... Yeah. I mean, Uh, most
0: movies had a $1, $2, $3 million budget.
1: Yeah. yeah. Uh, So Lucas turned to Alan Ladd at 20th Century Fox. They came to a deal because Ladd was a fan of American graffiti. Nice. Ladd fully admitted that he didn't get Star Wars, but really liked Lucas and trusted him to help Fox get out of some financial trouble they were in at the time. Uh, Look, um,
0: I don't really get the Star Wars. (laughs) A little over my head, I suppose. But, hell, we got nothing to lose. Let's just do it. Look, I trust
1: you. You got a good smile, George. He knew that American Graffiti made its money because of Lucas. Yes. So he was like, look, that's a good executive. I don't get it, but I trust you to do it, and you're going to give me a good product. The guys
0: that realize the talent of these directors right. are the ones that are wholly successful. Right. But Alan Ladd and uh, even Dino De yeah. Yeah. you know, these guys recognize talent, and they would see somebody – who has ambition and who has a vision and be like, okay, well I, that guy is serious. Right. I'm going to, I'm going to support you yeah. to get your vision to come true. And that's a big risk. $8 million yeah. on a space opera when sci-fi was yeah. relegated to the, the, the bins. You yeah. Know, to, yeah. The dust bins. Yeah. yeah. To the, to the drive-ins and such. <laughs> right. Right. It's a huge risk. It was, it definitely it's, was. And especially from a guy that made a relatively small car film.
1: Yeah. You know, yeah. there wasn't a lot of big moving pieces
0: In American Graffiti.
1: I'm pretty sure that at this point, Fox was still trying to recover from, I think it was Cleopatra that almost bankrupted the, which I want to say at that point was almost 15 years before. Oh, yeah. No, yeah. But they had had to sell off like 90% of their lot. Like, there's, it's so funny because now down at Fox where it is, it's still a pretty big lot. But for a while, it was like 10 times that size. And then they had to. Sell it all off because Cleopatra costs like eight billion dollars to make and bad decision. See, that's the was, opposite yeah.
0: of a good decision. They yeah. were
1: just banking on stars,
0: yeah. And the epic was over by then. Like yeah. people didn't want to see a three-hour because I, th- I want to Moses... say I think that
1: came out in like '63 or something. Yeah, I'm not sure. I, I, I don't remember. It was sometime in the early '60s, but it was definitely like after the the bulk of those like Ten Commandments and Ben Hur and stuff. No offense to Elizabeth Taylor, but
0: she's not very Egyptian over okay? <laughs> 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 It's uh, like it's like in you know. Eston playing a Mexican.
1: Oh, 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 who would have done that? Or John Wayne playing <laughs> Genghis Khan. Uh, I'll tell you something, buddy. I'm Genghis Khan, <laughs>
0: and I'm coming for you with my
1: swords. As soon as he finishes populating half of China. I'm going to have Mongolia.
0: relations with all the women here. <laughs> and <have a laughs> l- <coughs> uh, uh, I don't feel so good. Maybe where
1: we're filming has uh, a lot of cancer in it. Yeah, he. Yeah, they they shot most of uh, <laughs> Genghis Khan in in New Mexico. In nuclear and waste. Plant. There was a lot of radiation. Oh yeah. man. Yeah, killed a lot of people, including John Wayne. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> wow. All right. I mean, they <laughs> did. I know, I know, but it's just it's amazing that we went to John Wayne dying from cancer. Uh, well, I'll yeah. tell you. Yeah, if you have a chance, uh, watch The Shootist, John Wayne's last film with oh, Ron so Howard. It, yeah. It's great. So Lucas wrote and rewrote the script multiple times over the next two years, and they went on to casting. Uh, so Mark Hamill was cast as Luke Skywalker. Have you heard of this Mark Hamill guy? No, who is he? I don't know. He uh, Lucas favored casting young actors who lacked long experience. To play Luke, Lucas sought actors who could project intelligence and integrity. Well, that's what you need. And he liked uh, unknown actors because he could. Get him to do exactly what he wanted. Which is ironic because and, and we'll talk about this a little later, but apparently he barely talked to the actors during the shooting. Oh yeah. Well, barely.
0: Yeah. He he he's not an actor's
1: director. No. No, he's technical and, for sure. And he would be the first to admit that too. Yeah. But, but yeah. I get it. Maybe he likes the rawness, maybe you know, the, the, the it being more organic of a performance and
0: I honestly and I love him. I just don't think he has the social capabilities. Yeah. To convey what he
1: wants. He he should have taken a couple acting classes. Maybe. And and, and then be able to talk to the actors a little bit better. Just say it.
0: Just say the lines. But he got
1: the, yeah, I mean, he got the performances he wanted, apparently. Because he got great
0: actors. And, you know, I mean, we'll get to Harrison Ford, but it's like, look, these guys, they thought this was silly. Yeah, most of them did. But they didn't treat it as such.
1: No, no, no. There's no
0: wink in any of the performances. There's no. no, ugh this is a um, you know,
1: all of them, <laughs> them commit. And that's also what makes this work. Right. And that's 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 exactly with Mark Hamill. While reading the script, he found the dialogue to be extremely odd because of its universe-embedded concepts. But he chose to simply read it sincerely. And he was cast instead of people like William Cat, who was su- subsequently cast in Brian De Palma's Carrie. Oh, yeah. Um, he actually had uh, Lucas shared a joint casting session with De Palma during this, which is so oh, yeah. fascinating. So many people. Uh, John Travolta was up for... Uh, for Han Solo. Oh yeah, and yeah.
0: Because everybody came in, Sissy Spacek. Yeah, you know, they all. I came mean, they in. would. Yeah, they auditioned for both because they were in there hanging out. I'm glad. Yeah. William Cat just the thing that works so well about Mark Hamill is he just seems like a kid.
1: Yeah, he, he seems yeah. like a farm boy. He's, he he seems like this this kid that's tired of. Do it. he wants bigger and better things. Yes, and but he just he doesn't know how to get out of it, and he's just annoyed and so like whiny. he plays he plays that so well. Ooh, well
0: I'm supposed to go get some. I'm supposed, what does he say? I'm I'm gonna go
1: get the power converters I'm from the to- Toshi Station. I'm
0: supposed to go to the Toshi Station and get some power converters. Uh,
1: to- yeah, come on, Luke,
0: man up, get them droids out there,
1: lube them. Oh, it's so good. I it's he it, it just does it so well. I think he's Cat, Cat would have been. I think he would have been okay. I I but, but I, I don't know if it would have been the same. William Cat was amazing
0: in Greatest American Hero. Love that. show. Yeah, yeah. And he plays, but he unfortunately, and even in Carrie, yeah. he's got a quality to him that doesn't have that kind of innocent. Right. It doesn't have that naive right. innocence that that right. Hamill was so perfect at conveying. Yeah. He's yeah. just got more of a confidence to him, I think. Or there's something about him that I don't think he would have nailed the character as well.
1: Yeah. I No, I, I agree. I agree. I think they, they got it right. I mean, he was great in Carrie. He was perfectly great He was Barry. great in Carrie, yeah. Yeah. Uh, so Robbie Benson, Will Seltzer, Charles Martin Smith, and Kurt Russell also auditioned for Luke Skywalker. Robbie Benson.
0: Hi, I'm Robbie Benson. I'm Luke Skywalker. And I'm just gonna tell you, I'm gonna use your force. Okay. Okay. Robbie Benson's voice has always bothered me so much. I can tell. Oh, my God. Hey, Robbie, I'm sorry, but your voice is awful. Okay. Uh,
1: Hamill's early career included a recurring role in the soap opera General Hospital and a starring role in the short-lived sitcom The Texas Wheelers. Texas Wheelers. I have heard General Hospital. I have no idea what The Texas Wheelers is. Yeah, it didn't last very long. (laughs) He portrayed the oldest son, David, in the pilot episode of Eight is Enough. Yeah. Though the role was later performed by Grant Goodeve. Did not know that either. Yeah, yeah, because no, I remember watching the pilot of that. <laughs> oh, yeah.
0: Well, a lot of times back then they'd make a pilot like a year, six months. Before. Well, that's a, I
1: mean, that's how it used to be. Right, and much would, more common right. is that someone would just make a pilot and then hand it off to a studio and go, "Here it is." And then they may then, then they run it and they'd be like, "Okay, it did well." The people in the that made the pilot may be involved or may not, or may have moved on. Yeah, so yeah. you know, and had other commitments, had to so do was other there? things. It was it was more proof of concept. Yeah,
0: pilots. Most pilots were very different than the actual show. Yes. And it had a lot of different actors and stuff in it,
1: too. Hamill made a few guest appearances on TV shows and appeared in some TV movies before the audition for Star Wars rolled around. Uh, Robert England, a good friend of Hamill's, was auditioning for Apocalypse Now across the hall (laughs) and realized that Hamill would be perfect for Luke. You'd be perfect for Luke. It turns out that Hamill's agent had already secured an audition for him, but good looking out Robert England.
0: Yeah, guys are good friends
1: back then supportive yes. it's so supportive
0: helped him uh england actually auditioned for han solo
1: yeah mm-hmm. i mean it wouldn't surprise me but i just love the idea i want to see a movie where it's the audition day for carrie star wars <laughs> yeah. and apocalypse now where they're just hanging out shuffling actors back and forth and some of the greatest actors
0: I, ever
1: yeah that's it's crazy yeah. i can't imagine the energy in that that hallway like it yeah anyway So (laughs) Harrison Ford was cast as Han Solo. Han Uh, Solo. Lucas initially rejected casting Ford for the role as he, quote, wanted new faces. Yeah. Ford had previously worked with Lucas on American Graffiti. Yeah, he was the guy in the yellow truck. Yeah. It was... I get it. Like, I understand... I don't think Lucas wanted to become that director that just had a stable of actors. Like right. he, he, which irony, <laughs> he ended up just doing that. <laughs> yeah. But like, but you know, he wanted to to fresh faces, new things. Uh, so work you know. with new people. Yeah, I get it. Uh, instead, Lucas asked Ford to assist in the auditions by reading lines with the other actors and explaining the concepts and history behind the scenes that they were reading. Yeah, Lucas and Coppola had hired Harrison Ford to do some construction work. I think
0: cabinetry work, maybe. Yeah, for their zoetrope, and then yeah. You know, it's
1: like, well, why don't you just read? Yeah. Yeah. Why not? Uh I just love the fact that he was like, hey, so can you help me out by explaining the entire movie to everybody? I know. <laughs> it's just so funny to think of the biggest Hollywood star in the world, A,
0: just being called in to do construction, and then B, is kind of an afterthought, being like,
1: hey, why don't you be the reader? So they, they have these laser swords. All right, so... <laughs> there's some
0: laser swords something called the force i don't know it's like a some sort of binding um uh, they're metaclorians yeah, uh, it was it was horror, that, little, Ford that came up with the uh, metaclorians yeah i think that's what they're called and uh, there's a lot of weird aliens and um, you know spaceships and
1: uh, big big tall walking dogs yeah there's a chewbacca wookiee <laughs> So Lucas was eventually won over by Ford's portrayal, as you just heard, and cast him as Solo. Uh, others who auditioned for Han Solo were... Kurt Russell, Nick Nolte,
0: Sylvester Sloan, Bill Murray, Christopher Walken, Burt Reynolds, Jack Nicholson, James Caan, Robert De Niro, Al Pacino, Steve Martin, Chevy Chase,
1: and Perry King. Who later played Han Solo in the radio plays. Ooh. So in, uh, uh, to I made the kiss behind the two plastics. I want to believe that Sylvester Stallone in 1975 was a little easier to understand. Uh, is, uh, hey, I believe all this <laughs> you know, oh, <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Well, uh, we'll I, I will always, forever thank George Lucas for not. <laughs> <laughs> Hefting, Sylvester Stallone's hand uh, solo onto the world. Hey, you walking carpet! You
0: uh, insane to me?
1: God. you worship for this? <laughs> so, K- Carrie Fisher was cast as Princess Leia Organa, or Leia, as someone called her in the movie, which I forgot. Someone miss one of the rebel guys calls her Leia. <laughs> I was like, it's Leia? Really? <laughs> I, was, I was waiting for someone to correct it. It's like, really? Uh, many young Al- Hollywood actresses auditioned for the role of Princess Leia, including Amy Irving, Terry Noon, Terry Nun. Cindy Williams, Linda Pearl, Karen Allen, and Jodie Foster. Cindy Williams would have been good. I don't. I don't know Cindy Williams. Yeah, she
0: was uh, Shirley in *Laverne and Shirley*. Oh, that's okay. She Just passed away, unfortunately, oh, recently. Yeah. But yeah. she was amazing. She would have been great. She, she was. F- she was also in *American Graffiti*. No, yeah. She was Ron Howard's girlfriend. Oh, okay, that's right. And later, his wife. And later, in his the w- uh, in sequel. Oh, that's right, in the More American Graffiti. Yeah, I think they got divorced or something. More American Graffiti was bleak, baby. (laughs) It was bleak.
1: Well, it was, yeah, okay, anyway. Uh, uh, For another time. Eventually, at some point, we'll cover American Graffiti. Of course we will. Fisher was cast under the condition that she lose 10 pounds for the role. Yeah, yeah. (sighs) Fisher is the daughter of singers Eddie Fisher and Debbie Reynolds. Yeah. Uh, They were both very, uh, very... Popular singers.
0: If you want to know what Debbie Reynolds was like as a mother, read post, and actually do read this. Postcards yeah. from the Edge. Carrie Fisher's pseudo autobiography. Right. Um, that was made into the movie Postcards from the Edge, which is a great movie starring Meryl Streep. Yeah, playing the role. It was complicated, man. Yeah. Because her parents yeah. were Hollywood royalty. Yes. And yes. Uh, her mom was a piece of work. She
1: yeah. She was, they, they actually, her nickname when she was growing up, uh, Carrie Fisher's nickname was The Bookworm, because she would just, take get away from her parents, she would just go read. Yeah. She would go hide somewhere and read. I can, I uh, can relate to that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she attended Beverly Hills High School until the age of 16, when she appeared as a debutante and singer in the hit Broadway revival, Irene, in 1973, starring her mother.
0: Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. We're taking you out of school, so you can star in this with me. Yeah. Uh, Okay, I
0: just want to read my books, Mom.
1: (laughs) Her time on Broadway interfered with her education, resulting in Fisher's dropping out of high school. So in 1973, Fisher enrolled at London Central School of Speech and Drama, which she attended for 18 months. Following her time there, Fisher was accepted at Sarah Lawrence College, where she planned to study the arts. She later left without graduating. Fisher made her film debut in 1975 in the comedy Shampoo, filmed in mid-74 when she was 17. Yeah. Uh, The film starred Warren Beatty, Julie Christie, and Goldie Hawn. Yeah. Have you seen it? No. Good movie, Shampoo. Uh, It's basically about a
0: hairdresser Mm -hmm. played by Warren Beatty. Right. Hence the name Shampoo. Shampoo. Uh, Who's effing all of his... Oh, his clients? His clients. Yeah. And I think including a young 17-year-old Carrie Fisher, or at least she was coming on to him or something. Right, right. Fear of commitment or some side sort of stuff. But it was just a total, like, he's just effing everybody movie. Wow, wow. And I think Julie Christie was, like, his love or something. And right. I don't know. Weird. Good movie. Yeah. Funny.
1: People loved it. People loved Warren Beatty. He was the biggest Oh, yeah. Of Oh, yeah. He was the huge. Yeah. Uh, this was the only film Fisher was in before Star Wars. Oh, really? Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Peter Cushing was cast as Grand Moff Tarkin. Grand Moff Tarkin. Lucas originally offered the role to Christopher Lee, but he declined. I decline. (laughs) He would have been great. Lucas originally had Cushing in mind for the role of Obi-Wan Kenobi, but Lucas believed that, quote,
0: His lame features.
1: Would be better employed in the role of Tarkin
0: instead. He was absolutely right. And Christopher Lee ended up being in the prequel series. He did.
1: As Count Dooku. Count Dooku, yes. The head of the Separatists. Yes, Count Dooku. Uh, Cushing, commenting on his role, joked, I've often wondered what a grand moth was. It sounds like something that flew out of a cup of old. His acting career spanned over six decades and included appearances in more than 100 films, as well as many television, stage, and radio projects. God, he was so good. He achieved recognition for his leading performances in the Hammer Productions horror films in from the 50s to the 70s, including Victor Frankenstein and Dr. Van Helsing.
0: Victor Frankenstein, he had such a severe look, though
1: lent himself
0: to these performances. He was just so serious. He just had this look of of, uh,
1: like he was doing
0: something bad.
1: Yeah. I'm just waiting for you to screw up. Hmm, looking, looking at you, Adam. <laughs> when Star Wars was first released, most preliminary at- advertisements touted Cushing's Tarkin as the primary antagonist of the film, not Vader. Yeah. Well, he was. I mean, technically, yes, he was. Vader worked
0: for him? Man. And he didn't. Yeah.
1: It's really funny watching it considering how much Vader has been built up since then. Yeah. That he just kind of bossed him around. Yeah. Vader was just kind of his lackey. He was he the was stooge. He was the, he was the force. He was the muscle. Hey, come on, stooge. Yeah. Do what I want you to do. Yes, master. Go ahead and force choke that guy. Just force choke him. Okay. Mm. (laughs) Use your magic. your sorcerer's wheeze, Vida.
0: Nobody (laughs) believes in your old sorcerer's wheeze.
1: Yeah, well... Wish he had, because then they probably wouldn't have exploded. <laughs> All right. Cushing was extremely pleased with the final film, and he claimed his only disappointment was that Tarkin was killed and could not appear in the subsequent sequels. He was so
0: good in it, and
1: it's funny how these old-school... Actors are the only ones that really kind of believed in the movie. Yeah, yeah. The film gave Cushing the highest amount of visibility in his entire career and helped inspire younger audiences to watch his older films. It did that for me? Yes, yeah. I swear. Like, it, that's the thing about Star Wars
0: is I became enamored with everybody and right. I would watch everything.
1: Uh, Alec Guinness was cast as Obi-Wan Kenobi, old Ben Kenobi. Uh, Lucas's decision to cast unknowns was not taken favorably by his friend Francis Ford Coppola and the studio. Lucas decided Obi-Wan Kenobi should be played by an established actor. Before Guinness was cast, Japanese actor Toshiro Mufune, who starred in many Akira Kurosawa films, was considered for the role. Now that would have been awesome. That would have been fascinating. According to Mufune's daughter, Mika Kitagawa, her father turned down Lucas's offer for Kenobi and Darth Vader because... He was concerned about how the film would look and that it would cheapen the
0: image of samurai. At the time, sci-fi movies still looked quite cheap as the effects were not
1: advanced and he had a lot of samurai pride. I, it's interesting because that then goes back to the that's why sci-fi wasn't taken seriously. Exactly, it was it was everything looked kind of cheap and bad. And and look, people don't understand that this put sci-fi back on the map. Yeah, this yeah. renewed
0: this not only revived a lot of Hollywood, right, and paid for a lot of <laughs> oh, homes. Yeah. Oh yeah, but it also completely revitalized, revived, and created a completely new genre of sci-fi. Yeah, that went on
1: through the 70s and 80s, and really through to today. I mean, it it proved that a studio could invest money in this and more money than they think they should and still make money on it.
0: Well, it also proved that you could make a quality sci-fi product. Like, you could make a good, compelling story. Sure. And and it was the effects. The effects were unreal for the time. Sure. It was unbelievable seeing that stuff up on the screen. Yeah. That's why it was... Seeing it in the theater, man... It was, it was a life-changing experience.
1: Right, right. Guinness is one of the few cast members who believed that the film would be successful. He negotiated a deal for two and a quarter percent of the one-fifth gross royalties paid to Lucas, which made him quite wealthy in later life. Yes, it did. <laughs> he agreed to take the part of Kenobi on the condition that he would not have to do any publicity to promote the film. Nice. Lucas credited him with inspiring the cast and crew to work harder, saying that Guinness contributed significantly... To the completion of the filming. Yeah, the guy was a pro, man. He was probably the most. He and Cushing were the two most senior members of the.
0: The really only true, real professional. Well, the only guy. like established actors. Well, not just actors like the crew. You know, was yeah, like Lucas yeah, was pretty sure, green too. Sure. So it was yeah. good. It was a smart move to have these old pros on hand, right? To to, to help make the
1: film better. Uh, Harrison Ford said about Alec Guinness...
0: It was for me fascinating to watch Alec Guinness... He was always prepared, always professional, always very kind to the other actors. He had a very clear head about how to serve the story. Well,
1: and it's something that Harrison Ford himself would do for his entire sure, career. Of course, of course. Guinness won the Academy Award for Best Actor in 1957 for his role in The Bridge on the River Kwai. Amazing movie by David Lean. Uh, Amazing movie. He was nominated in 1958 for the Academy Award for Best Writing, screenplay based on material from another medium, for his screenplay adapted from Joyce Carey's novel The Horse's Mouth. He was a writer, too? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. I don't, I don't think he stuck with it. I, I think that he just focused on the acting after that. It well, was
0: nominated for an Academy Award. But, I mean,
1: he was nominated for an Academy Award. Yeah, that's, like, that's pretty good. That's pretty impressive. Guinness worked with David Lean a number of times after A Bridge on the River Kwai, despite a difficult and often hostile relationship. Jesus. Oh, yeah. They apparently didn't really like each other. Really? But they liked working together. Okay. <laughs> Lean referred to Guinness as... My good luck charm. They work together on Lawrence of Arabia, Dr. Zhivago, and A Passage to India. Just before Star Wars, Guinness starred in Neil Simon's Murder by Death as the blind butler. Oh, if you haven't seen that movie. Highly recommend. Uh, and, and
0: and we did a show
1: oh, on it, Please we? listen to our episode about Murder by Death, yes. and it'll make you want
0: to watch the yes, movie. Yes, because we love it so much. And it is, if you want to see Alec Guinness having the time of his life in a
1: completely different parts than Obi-Wan Kenobi.
0: It's so hilarious. Absolutely hilarious. And you can tell he is just. Oh, yeah. Just lapping it up like a dog lapping up ice
1: cream. He was a man that enjoyed his life. (laughs) Do dogs lap up ice cream? I don't think they're supposed to. Or Mm. can they? No, it's not chocolate. As long as it's not chocolate. Yeah, I think that's okay. I don't know. Don't don't have your dog ideas, just in <laughs> case. <I don't. laughs> so Anthony Daniels was cast as C-3PO. He has said that he wanted the role after he saw a Ralph McQuarrie drawing of the character and was struck by the vulnerability in the rob- robot's face. If you have a chance to see Ralph McQuarrie's... I have one of... they. Uh,
0: Lucas gave us a reproduction of one of his original oh, nice. drawings that yeah. I have somewhere. Um, but his drawings are amazing. Oh, he's His incredible. concept work? Yeah. Oh, my God. If you wanted... If it's some of the stuff you're like, oh, man, I wish it was that. Right. And other stuff right. it's like, oh. Because, like, the original Harris, the original Han Solo was like an alien. Yeah. Yeah. Like a weird lizard face <laughs> <Yeah. phase> or <laughs> something.
1: Uh, Macquarie based C-3PO on the Maschinenmensch from the 1927 Metropolis before going through design changes before production. I mean, you've seen Metropolis. Oh, yeah. Oh, oh, my okay. God.
0: Yeah. If You guys want to see, like, the birth of sci-fi oh, yeah. and yeah. a movie that's way ahead of its time and yeah. is
1: just – it's ridiculous that it was even made. Check it out. Yeah, it's it's funny because the design that Ralph McQuarrie did was based off of Metropolis, but the, the, but then C-3PO changed, and then they end up creating a droid based off of that design anyway. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know. It's crazy. It was, yeah. Yeah, but Metropolis is also just a, another one of those dystopian future. Ugh, one of the first, really. Yeah. it's it's It can be a little hard to watch because it is a silent movie, and it is two and a half hours long, but it is... So good. I was visiting
0: my folks in Texas, and they went to bed, and uh, I was enjoying the novelty of having satellite oh, TV yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. And I came across uh, uh, Metropolis yeah. on, you know, one of the classic movie channels. Yeah, and it was an amazing transfer, and I yeah. just was sucked right in until oh, yeah. the end. And yeah, just it was it was so good to see it. I hadn't
1: seen it in probably thirty, forty years. Yeah, it's a great movie. Highly recommend. Uh, Initially, Lucas did not intend to use Daniel's voice for C-3PO. Mm. Uh, 30 well-established voice actors read for the voice of the droid. Interesting. According to Daniels, one of the major voice actors recommended Daniels' voice for the role. Nice. Uh, Mel, Bang- Mel Blank was considered for the role, but according to Daniels, Blank told Lucas that Daniels was better for the part.
0: He's better for the part than me.
1: <laughs> uh, and Richard Dreyfuss was also considered for the voice of C-3PO.
0: I'm a protocol droid, and I speak butchy very well. Oh, or 2 you go your own way. Oh, I'm so sick of you. Oh, goog. Go, go, go.
1: Uh, I'm going to go ahead and say that he made a good choice. He really <laughs> did. I love Richard Dreyfuss,
0: but they wouldn't want to hear him. Oh, could you imagine
1: him for like nine no. movies? No. Who oh, are two?
0: Oh, this is awful. Oh, what have I done? What did I do to deserve this? <laughs> oh.
1: Daniel has, Daniels has said that before his role in Star Wars, the only science fiction film he had ever seen in a theater was 2001 A Space Odyssey in 1968. Well, that was probably the best one well, up until then. He was so displeased with the film that he walked out after 10 minutes and demanded his money back. Oh. <laughs> Harsh. Uh, after Daniels was cast as C-3PO, Lucas re- recommended that he watch the film in its entirety to study Hal 9000's voice. And in a 2011 interview, Daniel said that he now regards 2001 as a masterpiece. Yeah, he smoked a big fat joint
0: for the, <laughs> the second time he probably handed
1: him some weed and hey, said, go, hey, man.
0: You're going to need
1: this. This is straight from Modesto. Hmm. All right, I'll try it. So he is the only actor to have either appeared in or been involved with all theatrical films in the series. Good for him. He also has appeared as C-3PO doing the voice. I didn't put this in, which I'll, we'll talk about it in, in a later episode. But he has appeared as C-3PO and like a hundred different things. Yeah. Like it's crazy how well, much yeah. how much work he's gotten off of He's it. like Joe Montana. Yeah. He does, not <laughs> with the fat Tony. He's like, if you're having C-3PO, it's me.
0: It's going to be
1: me. Yeah. Kenny Baker was cast as R2-D2. Beep, pop, boop, boop, beep. When filming was underway in London, where additional casting took place, Baker, performing with Jack Purvis as the musical comedy act The Minitones, learned <laughs> that the film crew was looking for a small person to fit inside a robot suit and maneuver it. Uh, Purvis would actually play the lead Jawa in the droid selling scene in Tatooine. Moutine. Yeah, that was perfect Jack Purvis. <laughs> uh, Baker, who had three who was three feet eight inches tall, was cast immediately after meeting George Lucas. You got the pot, kid. He, he said He saw me come in and he said, He'll do
0: because I was the smallest guy i'd ever seen up until that.
1: <laughs> well, yeah. He initially turned down the role 3 times, hesitant to appear in a film where his face could, would not be shown and hoping to continue the success of his comedy act which had recently started to be televised. Uh, R2D2's recognizable beeps and squeaks were made by sound designer Ben Burt imitating baby noises, recording this voice as it was heard on an intercom and creating the final mix using a synthesizer.
0: Meep, 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 meep. Beep
1: boop beep boop. Beep,
0: beep boop beep, just, beep, beep boop.
1: funny that it's literally not electronic noises. It's Ben (laughs) Burt going beep pop, boop 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 now, let's yeah. just put a filter on it and we're good.
0: <laughs> Kenny Baker was hilarious in Time Bandits. Oh, yes. Yes. Uh, if, oh, man. So good. One of my
1: favorite films. I can't wait till we do yeah, that. Yeah, we'll, we'll definitely, yeah. Uh, apparently, and we'll talk about this more as the month progresses, but apparently Anthony Daniels and Kenny Baker hated each other. Really? Just hated each other. Well, it worked. Yeah. Uh, I, will, I will research more into it and see how true that is. Yeah, please do. Uh, but we, we'll talk we about got it. More. two more films to get, know, get through I their know. relationship. Peter Mayhew was cast as Chewbacca. Uh, Mayhu learned of a casting call for Star Wars, which was being shot in London, and decided to audition. The 7-foot-3-inch tall actor was immediately cast as Chewbacca after he stood up to greet Lucas.
0: Oh, you're a big fella. Let's, let's hire this guy.
1: <laughs> as a result of his height, Mayhu was eligible for either the role of Chewbacca or Darth Vader, ultimately choosing the former because he wanted to play a hero in the story. Ooh, I would have picked the other. Well, that's the thing. Lucas had originally cast David Prowse as Chewbacca, who stands 6'6", but he lobbied for the part of Darth Vader instead. Yeah, it makes sense. I mean, I, they're both good parts, but I, But yeah, you want to play hero. I get it. Hey, Chewie is awesome. Chewie is great. Mayhew... <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Mayhew modeled his performance of Chewbacca after the mannerisms of animals he saw at public zoos. Uh, Mayhew gained his first acting job when the producers of Sinbad and the Eye of the Tiger, released in 1977, discovered him from a photograph in a newspaper article about men with large feet (laughs) and cast him in the role of the Minotan. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Mayhew's working job was as a hospital orderly, a job that he kept working while filming Star Wars and its sequels. Well, he probably didn't make a ton of money. Yeah, but I mean... He's still
0: getting royalties and stuff. like Sure, but he probably made, I what, mean, 50 grand off the first one, if that? Oh, if that. I you
1: mean, know. but it's the later ones. He kept working way into the 80s. Like, Maybe he loved his job. I, that's what I figure. I mean, he just seemed like a very
0: sweet man. He did seem like an extremely sweet man, and unfortunately he passed. Yeah. Yeah, that was not too long ago, actually. No. It, he had a lot of. Health issues later in his life, but it's 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 the curse of being so tall. It, it happens. And but Harrison Ford said of him that he was one of the sweetest human beings yeah. that he had ever known, and they had a, a good relationship. Yeah, they were close for yeah. all their lives. Forty. Yeah, Lucas said Mayhew was quote the closest any human being could be to a Wookiee. A big heart, gentle nature, and I learned to always let him win. Yeah, always let the
1: Wookiee win. Uh, can't argue. <laughs> can't argue with a Wookiee. Pull your arm right out of its sockets at him. <laughs> the character did not have any lines, uh obviously. The Wookiee speech were made of sound recordings of animal noises. Yeah. Mostly me.
0: Yeah. <laughs> was Jim. Jim
1: was eight years old making animal noises.
0: It was <laughs> they just
1: Lucas just saw me in a park and was like, Hey, you gotta get that kid, he makes good noises. So David Prowse was cast as Darth Vader. Lucas dismissed Prowse for the character's voice due to his West Country English accent, which led to him being nicknamed within the cast as Darth Farmer. Oh, Jesus. (laughs) So mean. Uh, Prowse had appeared in a number of features and TV shows prior to Star Wars, most notably in Kubrick's A Clockwork Orange in 1971. In the United Kingdom, Prowse was well-known as the Green Cross Man, a superhero invented to promote a road safety campaign for children in 1975. He also appeared in two Hammer Frankenstein films, one of which starred Peter Cushing. Good to see you again. (laughs) You're still tall. (laughs) James Earl Jones was cast as the voice of Darth Vader. Jones was uncredited for the part until 1983, Yeah, we all thought it was just David Prowse. It was weird. Yeah, Uh, Lucas originally intended for Orson Welles to voice the character after dismissing Prowse uh, for the voice. However, determining that Welles' voice would be too familiar to audiences, he instead cast the then relatively less recognizable James Earl Jones. Thank goodness. All right, so filming. 1975. Lucas formed his own visual effects company called Industrial Light and Magic. after I him. After discovering that 20th Century Fox's visual effects department had been disbanded.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, visual effects weren't a big deal back then. Well, no. I mean, what were they? I mean, it was mostly like model work and floods yeah. and stuff. And you'd always look at like, it was so funny. Whenever, even on like the bridge over the River Kwai and stuff, whenever they would have like the actual flood and stuff. Right. You could see all the, like, the fake trees coming yeah, up, and yeah. it just looked like a... They just crank it down to make it look right. slower. It a little slower, yeah.
1: ILM began its work on Star Wars in a warehouse in Van Nuys. Yeah. Most of the visual effects using used pioneering digital motion control photography developed by John Dykstra and his team, which created the illusion of size by employing small models and slowly moving cameras.
0: Yeah, the the scope and the size of things in Star Wars was yeah. overwhelming as a child. Like, the shot of the millennium falcon getting pulled into the death star where mm-hmm. you finally see the true size of that death right, star it's right. just, holy crap it's so weird the certain things that stick out to you as a child like i remember when obi-wan kenobi is turning off the uh, tractor beam yeah the it just seemed like that that
1: Total oh, that dropped forever. Yeah, it did. It did. I mean, it mean, would was, just
0: fall for, it was just the scope of that. Fall just, for five years. <laughs> it it yeah. just, it blew my mind. It was like, huge. The size yeah. and scope of all that stuff. The, the, the size of the Star Destroyers, too. It yeah. was just. They were huge. There wasn't anything of that scope.
1: It was right. epic. I mean, it was truly, truly epic. Yeah. Yeah. Lucas hired Gilbert Taylor as director of photography. Taylor had lensed Doctor Strangelove and the Beatles' film A Hard Day's Night in the early 60s. Yeah. Lucas was much more used to making movies with a smaller crew, which led to disputes with Taylor, who was much more old school in his approach to filmmaking. Yeah. Lucas would just move lights or tell Taylor Taylor to turn this one or that one off and Taylor would respond asking him to tell him what look he wanted and to stop doing his job. (laughs) He literally was like, because it got to the point where Lucas was like, well, just turn this light off. And he's like, no, tell me what you want and then I will change it. It seemed very much like Lucas didn't establish a good relationship right. with him at the beginning of Which like a- of like you know hey here's what i do yes. like let's compliment each other rather than you know lucas originally envisioned the planet of tatooine where much of the film would take place as a jungle planet Ooh. gary kurtz a producer traveled to the philippines to scout locations however because the idea of spending months filming in the jungle would make lucas quote-unquote <laughs> hey,
0: make me itchy
1: Uh, The director refined his vision and made Tatooine a desert planet instead.
0: Yeah, I got itchy there, too. You get sand in your trousers and it's going to make it itch. Yeah,
1: yeah, well. Lucas fell behind schedule in the first week of shooting in Tunisia, uh, where they were filming the Tatooine scenes due to malfunctioning props and electronic breakdowns. Yeah, because of all the sand getting into everything. Oh, my God, there is nothing worse, especially back then when you
0: got film cameras. Oh, yeah.
1: There's, You know, the sand gets everywhere,
0: everywhere.
1: Moreover, a rare Tunisian rainstorm struck the country, which further disrupted filming and made everything look like a big gray blur. Gross. Literally, Taylor was talking about how he was like, you couldn't see, they were trying to shoot the droids from far away. Right. And he was like, you literally couldn't see where the sky and the ground ended. Really? It was just these like blobs of like coming towards the camera. And he just, it was just like, and he, he would turn to Lucas and be like, we can't use this. Yeah. And Lucas was like, no, we got to push on. We got to push on. And yeah. We had to reshoot it all anyway. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Uh, Luke's home on Tatooine, that that exterior part, the like weird uh, well thing, yeah. is is a still operating hotel. Oh, nice! Yeah, I mean the cool. only problem is you
0: have to go to Tunisia, but uh, yeah. to stay there. But it would be cool to stay there. Yeah, it's like an Airbnb. It's
1: a they're, they're a Berber speaking like part of the country uh so they're like usually travelers and uh nomads in the desert but they have this hotel yeah it's cool during the filming of the jawa sand crawler (laughs) Libyan leader muammar gaddafi who did not have good relations with tunisia at the time allegedly mistook the crawler as a military vehicle to to be used utilized against him when gaddafi threatened the tunisian government lucas and the tunisian army quickly moved his filming crew to a more discreet location (laughs) nice international (laughs) incident (laughs) <laughs> it's just a Jawa sound crawler. I swear to God. I'm Omar Gaddafi. <laughs> God, he was, he was a piece of work. Well, he's dead now. Yeah, he's dead. Uh, while shooting, Lucas rarely spoke to the actors who believed that he expected too much of them while providing little direction. His directions to the actors usually consisted of the words "faster" and "more intense." Yeah,
0: the actors totally make fun of him because he, like, like we talked about, it, he's he's not an actor's director. I don't think he, I think it has a lot to do yeah. with him being shy or yeah. him. Being, it's a, it's his background too. I mean, when he started out doing these really interesting documentary style films that we talked about, it was just yeah. him cutting footage together and then having a voiceover to it. Right. It was right. basically a very solitary thing. Yeah. Yeah. You know. So I think, like we said, he's much more comfortable with the machines, of course, than of course. The people.
1: I just find it interesting because we know a director that uses words like this who 's a huge fan of Star Wars, so it all makes sense yeah, he 's also extremely friggin frustrating too, yeah, yeah, <laughs> I can imagine i having worked with him and see i could I would be so frustrated on yeah. set but I mean, props to the actors for getting past that and being like, all right, well, we're going to do this job anyway. Well, they probably found their own rhythm within it. And and that's what
0: what happens. I mean, if you're working with somebody, you have to adapt to their style. Right. And, you know, you could bitch and moan and complain the entire time and never get anything done. Or you could, you know, adapt, in which they did. And make it better. Yeah, yeah. Just work with it. So, look (laughs) – if you read the script of Star Wars, it is flat as a damn flat Earth person's mind. Yeah. <laughs> but the actors were able to find something in it. Yeah, you know, it's their yeah. personalities that come through. Hamill is so earnest and good. Yeah, and and <laughs> even though she was on acid most of the time and and heavy drugs, she, Carrie Fisher is very regal and she does oh, a she's great job great. being a princess. She's, yeah. And
1: nobody's played a scoundrel
0: ever better than Harrison Ford. Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah. On January 11th, 1977, before shooting one of his scenes in Star Wars, Hamill was in a car accident in which he fractured his nose and left cheekbone. Hamill later said that the story surrounding his injuries had become exaggerated. Oh, yeah. Confirming that he'd only broken his nose, he observed that, quote, Over the years, it's been built up to having my face reconstructed with plastic surgery.
0: Yeah, uh, which it it wasn't. No, he just... Broke his nose and his cheek, right? His che- yeah, and yeah. it made his cheek kind of sag, and his eye socket looked different. It's just because he broke his cheekbone. It, it's it, that was the problem, and his nose was weird now. Yeah, he wasn't. Look, Mark Hamill was beautiful boy. Oh, he was so pretty, beautiful, and just one of the most handsome guys ever. And his career would have been completely different. Yeah, if he didn't get in that accident, because it wasn't like he was ugly or anything.
1: No, but no. he
0: was a little rough. You know, it was he was pretty it, like he used He to
1: definitely be. was passed over for some parts. Yeah. It changed his career. Uh even to the point where with this with the visible scarring, they they it hampered reshoots for the first Star Wars. Yeah, and then they had to change, you know, the whole Wampa thing in the second one to yeah. to justify his face being all jacked up. Right. Right. During production, the cast attempted to make Lucas laugh or smile as he often appeared depressed. At one point, the project became so demanding that Lucas was diagnosed with hypertension and exhaustion and was warned to reduce his stress level.
0: These guys, man, they're tr- – and here, I get it. The pressure of making a movie – the pressure of making Star Wars must have been intense because here's a guy that's not super proven. He's been given a ton of money. He is just going by reputation alone, and this is going to either make or break him. This, If
1: Star Wars yeah. didn't hit – we wouldn't have ever cool. heard of George Lucas again, and not just that, but like Alan Ladd was like, "Hey, man, you're gonna save our studio." Exactly. I mean, the- you yes. know that pressure was there. Oh my god! And you're doing
0: things nobody's ever done before.
1: Yeah, and, and you're it, you're
0: trying to completely create a genre. And yeah, I mean, it's insane. Yeah, it's it's I can't imagine the amount of pressure the cast had a lot of fun though did you they, they did just recently they released a picture I guess Carrie Fisher was staying at Eric Idol's flat Oh yeah in, when they were in England yeah and they were having a like a party there yeah and Eric Idol showed up to watch a football game <laughs> and then it then they, they were all partying, and then the Stones were recording like two blocks away, so <laughs> nice. they came over. Oh and wow! Out, and, wow! And, and, That's and crazy. Mark Ham was like, "The only reason why Carrie Fisher isn't in the picture is because she's taking the picture." <laughs> and they all just look like they're having the best time.
1: Oh, is it? If you ever have a chance to watch any of the outtakes from the first Star Wars, it is great. It, it, the 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 chemistry between the actors is palpable. The camaraderie too. Yeah, it's it's so good. I it, it's so funny. There's a bonding that happens
0: when you're in something that you don't think is going to be that great. <laughs> and, right. And these guys, right. you know, they're trying to do the dialogue. You know, <sighs> you, if you look at some of the shots uh, of Harrison Ford shooting his pistol, oh, he's just like, me, me, me. It's just kind of all yeah. over the place. Like, it's like so unnatural. <laughs> it's like, i got to run away mew, and shoot mew, my gun. Mew, mew, mew. Yeah. But, uh, but, yeah, I mean, they just seemed to have a lot of fun. They smoked a lot of pot. Yeah. And you know did, drank uh, a lot of booze. Yeah. And so. apparently Harrison Ford and Carrie Fisher mm. did a little doodle. Yeah, yeah. Well
1: <laughs> he was married. That's gonna happen. It's gonna happen. He did a little doodle. He did. He did a little doodle. You shouldn't call her a doodle, that's weird. No, I'm calling him the doodle. Oh, okay. She did a little doodle. Oh, okay. <laughs> So Charles Lippincott was the marketing director for Star Wars. As 20th Century Fox gave little support for marketing beyond licensing t-shirts and posters, Lippincott was forced to look elsewhere. This guy's a friggin' genius. Amazing. He secured deals with Marvel Comics for a comic book adaptation and with Del Ray Books for a novelization. What a... This has not been done before. I think there had been novelizations
0: yeah, to movies. Yeah, yeah. Mostly it was books, became movies. Yeah. But But the fact that he saw the commercial potential of this film right it right. changed the way licensing was done forever yeah and the
1: fact that lucas kept the the rights oh, to the right, licensing right. was the most genius he of course, move that he ever of course. Did. a fan of science fiction he used his contacts to promote the film at the san diego comic-con and elsewhere within science fiction fandom so smart this is the, we were talking about this too yeah, the other day yeah i'd love to
0: see a movie about this i would love to see a movie about the marketing guys selling star wars yeah. it'd be it'd be like you know, it would be like Tetris or these movies coming out now. Right, right. I love these movies about these guys that are unsung heroes that nobody knows about that basically are
1: the reason why something yeah, yeah. became so successful. Charles Lippincott. He was, oh, he, Lippincott. was he was a genius. Uh, worried that Star Wars would be beaten out by other summer films, such as Smoking the Bandit, 20th Century Fox moved the release date to May 25th, the Wednesday before Memorial Day. Yeah, look, they didn't release big movies on holiday weekends back then no holiday weekends to them were dead zones because well, that's yeah, when everybody got in the car nobody went to the Poconos yeah. you
0: know nobody
1: was going to be inside watching a movie no, you're no. gonna be out enjoying your vacation exactly your holiday you're barbecuing yeah.
0: you're doing whatever it's the
1: first yeah. summer holiday nobody wants to be in a dumb old theater yeah Ooh. it's ironic how much that has changed record skip yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, however, only 37 theaters ordered the film to be shown in North America.
0: Oh my God.
1: In response, the studio demanded that theaters order Star Wars if they wanted the eagerly eagerly anticipated The Other Side of Midnight based on Sidney Sheldon's 1973 novel of the same name,
0: which was such a bigger hit. I mean, nobody, <laughs> I mean, everybody's seen The Other Side n- of Midnight. No one's heard of Star Wars. No. I, I mean, the conventions for The Other Side of Midnight.
1: I yeah, mean, there's one almost every other day. It is. It's crazy. So Star Wars debuted on Wednesday, May 25th, 1977, in fewer than 32 theaters, and eight more on Thursday and Friday. It immediately broke box office records, effectively becoming one of the first blockbuster films, and Fox accelerated plans to broaden its release. Oh, my God. It.
0: Uh, there had been nothing like this, man. Yeah. yeah. The fact that people were lined up around the block to see yeah. this movie, it, it just. Living through the experience of Star Wars being released completely changed cinema, yeah, completely changed yeah. movie going. It turned films into a destination rather than just a distraction.
1: Right. It, right.
0: it, it made, it, it just, you don't understand. <laughs> I mean, people do. It's just, it was insane how just part of the zeitgeist it became and how right, right. every news story was, Star Wars, Star Wars, Star, yeah, Wars, Star yeah. Wars, Star Wars, Star Wars.
1: Lucas wasn't sure the movie would do well, and while visiting Spielberg on the set of Close Encounters of the Third Kind, Lucas was convinced that Spielberg's movie would do better. Spielberg disagreed, being one of the few friends of Lucas who enjoyed an early screening of the film, so they end up trading 2.5% of the profits of the films. Spielberg still gets 2.5% of the profits of anything Star Wars to this day. Yes, cha I make
0: a lot of money off of Star Wars. He
1: could have never worked again and still made enough money. I know, it's insane how much money he's made off of this movie. I wish I had two and a half. Admits Fox pessimism, Lucas elected to forgo his option to an extra $500,000 fee for directing Star Wars in exchange for obtaining the merchandising and sequel rights for the movie from Fox. Oh, man, Fox. Who regrets that? Oh, baby. Well, it was a smart move. Smart move on his part. Absolutely genius. Although, although... It may it may have been that he wanted to use that money for the budget, sure, because they definitely went over budget. Oh yeah, uh, but you know, because he still wasn't sure if the movie was going to do well. No, but what he was sure of is that if it was to continue, it
0: was right. going to continue under his stewardship, right? And he right. was going to make sure that the movies made were the movies
1: he wanted to be right. made. Right. Fearing the film would fail, Lucas made plans to be in Hawaii with his wife, Marcia. Uh, while the movie was being released, he spent most of the day opening day in a sound studio in Los Angeles. When Lucas went out for lunch with his wife, Marsha, who also edited the film, they encountered a long line of people walking the sidewalks leading to, leading to man's Chinese theater waiting to see Star Wars. How cool would that be? You're expecting your film to flop. Yeah. And you're out with your it's, it's wife. Like, what, what are all these people? What are all these people doing? Yeah, what is, is everybody waiting to see the other side of midnight? <laughs> We're
0: waiting to see the Star Wars.
1: Yeah, Uh, he was still skeptical of the film's success, even with enthusiastic reports from Ladd and the studio, so he went to Hawaii, and it was not until he watched Walter Cronkite discuss the gigantic crowds for Star Wars on the CBS Evening News that Lucas realized he had just become very wealthy. Welcome to the CBS Evening News. Tonight's top story Star Wars. A juggernaut at the theaters and a juggernaut at home. Uh, in fact, he was so wealthy and it did so well that Francis Ford Coppola, who needs money to finish Apocalypse Now, sent a telegram to Lucas's hotel asking for funding. I thought you were going to say he did so well that he bought Hawaii. (laughs) No, no, it's just funny that like Coppola, it, it, you know, he started with Coppola and then he was like, he turns around and he does this sci-fi thing and suddenly he's a friggin' billionaire. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's it. Yeah. He went from being an intern on Finian's Rainbow to being the most
1: successful filmmaker in history. It is crazy.
0: It is crazy. I just...
1: uh, Even technical crew members, such as model makers, were asked for autographs, and cast members became instant household names. When Harrison Ford visited a record store to buy an album, enthusiastic fans tore off half of his shirt. Good lord.
0: Come on, get away from me. Give me my shirt back. I need that. I've only got three. (laughs)
1: <laughs> so Alan Ladd, uh, ooh, uh, Alan Ladd was right. The film literally saved 20th Century Fox from bankruptcy, gaining a record annual profit of $79 million. Good lord. Their previous best annual profit was $37 million. That's insane. And that is absolutely insane. I remember just wanting
0: to know everything about everybody. Of course, and yeah. And it, it, Star Wars just became this thing that there had never been anything like it. no. Where, no. where you just, like you said... Nobody gave a crap about who was the special effects guy back then right nobody right. cared about the grips yeah. you know but it, but they, everybody they did for wanted Star Wars it, exactly. yeah exactly and you're an instant celebrity and if you were tangentially in, involved in Star Wars you have a career for the rest of your life going to conventions yeah. and, oh, yeah. and signing autographs and all sorts of stuff. It's it was
1: just still true to this day. After 2 weeks, William Friedkin's Sorcerer replaced Star Wars at Mann's Chinese Theater because of contractual obligations. Yeah, everybody remembers Sorcerer. <laughs> yeah. Uh, Mann Theaters moved the film to a less prestigious location after quickly renovating it. When Star Wars made an unprecedented second opening at Mann's Chinese Theater on August third, nineteen 1977 after Sorcerer failed, Thousands of people attended a ceremony in which C-3PO, R2-D2, and Darth Vader placed their footprints in the theater's forecourt. At that time, Star Wars was playing in 1,096 theaters in the United States. Approximately 60 theaters played the film continuously for over a year. Oh, yeah. Well, also, that wasn't... Totally unheard of back then. No, but... Films I, would But by this point, or... it, it it wasn't as common. Right. I mean, it had been played down more. Well, because there I were man. more movies. Yeah, yeah, It was more of a business. Yeah. Yeah. In 1978, Lucasfilm distributed birthday cake posters to those theaters for special events on May 25th, the one-year anniversary of the film's release. Uh, I'm going to guess that the birthday cake posters are probably pretty expensive now. Oh, yeah. <laughs> my God. Uh, Star Wars was nominated for 10 Academy Awards at the 50th Academy Awards, a winning six. Yeah, I mean... People don't remember that. It was a It Academy was how many for 10 Academy Awards? That was, at the time, I think the record was 11? Something like that, yeah. And so it's like, it's like wow, man. It did it did way better. Uh, it won for Best Art Direction, Best Costume Design, Best Film Editing, Best Original Score, Best Sound, and Best Visual Effects. Yeah. yeah. I, yeah. They also gave Ben Burt a Special Achievement Academy Award for his sound design. Yeah, I mean... It, for literally going beep, boop, beep. Well, and, and among... <laughs> I know, I know.
0: One of my favorite things, one of my favorite documentaries... Because I own the Laserdisc mm. compilation, mm. and it it had a great set of bonus materials, yeah, which was very kind of rare back then, y- yeah, at before, that time, yeah, before DVDs, DVDs and stuff, yeah, and stuff. yeah. And there is such one of my favorite documentaries is the one about sound and watching Ben Burt, yeah, just go around and like. Oh yeah, yeah, he, he, yeah! Like, I remember this. Yeah, a, 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 like a metal fence, like a barbed wire fence, beow, 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 in it in the sand. Uh-huh. He's like, oh, I don't huh. know. and I'm gonna tweak what? that and add this and put Maybe. that in. It's good for the phasers. <laughs> so much fun. Yeah. good friend Marty Matulis, who is in the Star Wars universe mm-hmm. now, he plays Vane, the pirate who keeps sneaking away. <laughs> I, I love the fact <laughs> he's that such he's such a sleazy man. man. <laughs> he's so great. so great. He's such a great actor and such a great performer. But he, he, I love that he is the. Uh, The Dr. Smith, you know, of of the Star Wars, you know, from uh, Lost in Space. Oh my, oh my. Uh, He's that version. He's that guy in Star Wars that keeps like sneaking away. But he and I, I did this, uh, I did a film where we built the sound from scratch. Yeah. And, And that was one of my favorite aspects of making that film where Marty and I just. Finding drops or finding this yeah. or finding different yeah. sounds. And he and I just with the recorder, <laughs> right. you know, like a couple of goobs just running around. It was just, I love sound design. I think I think if I had to yeah. do it all over again, I might go into sound. Foley's amazing. Yeah. I, I I agree. I think it's fascinating because you get to be so
1: creative. Yeah. yeah.
0: Well, I mean, we had some fun when we did our uh, immersive shows. You know, we got to combine some I mean, very yeah nothing like Ben bird i mean come on right but been right. able to combine sounds and it's fun when you put stuff together and create a new sound and you're like that's exactly what i want yeah yeah
1: uh so it was also nominated for these academy awards best original screenplay but lost to annie hall best supporting actor for alec guinness but lost to jason robards and julia okay. best director but lost to woody allen for annie hall and best picture but lost to annie hall Ugh. Uh, I want to say Annie Hall, I think, was nominated for 10 or 11 Academy Awards. Yeah, well. well, that
0: was that was back when Woody Allen was the man. Like, he was
1: creating stuff sure. that was different. Than, sure. I do also find it really ironic that it was nominated for 10 Academy Awards. Because now, it went into the, the point where, like, sci-fi movies weren't nominated for these things. Oh, never. Like, the Academy just ignores. Except for 2001. Yeah, to, well, two thousand. But, I mean, later. Yeah. Like, it wasn't until uh, Cameron with... Uh, um, avatar avatar where like suddenly it was like oh my god we have to start giving awards to these these giant blockbuster movies again yeah yeah but yeah, it but was for the longest time these blockbusters were just ignored by the academy well they would always get sound design yeah there'd be technical and there would be there would be 3 yeah.
0: or 4 technical awards yeah. that they would always be art direction yes. or
1: you know film editing or sound design or yeah. something Yeah.
0: you know some some pity awards yeah it would and be no like no offense to those i mean they i mean deserve them all well deserved
1: but, but yeah, it, but yeah, it's the it would, it would always be like you know, and it's it, it's just but they wouldn't be nominated for best picture. Although granted, now because they expanded it out from five movies to ten, there definitely are more. Although. Can be argued that it makes it less effective <laughs> exactly, so of course the movie was renamed Star Wars, Episode Four, New Hope, and spawned a huge universe uh, i I want to say i didn 't write it down, but i and i 'll we 'll talk about it next week when we we do uh, Empire Strikes back, but i want to say I think they added the episode four and stuff in like seventy eight really was like re released in like seventy like he knew as soon as it became su- successful that he was like all right i 'm going to do my plan, do my trilogy
0: exactly, and smart of him to make it the middle, yeah, yeah, because then. He knew that there was a story to tell leading up to that, right? And right. then there was a story after that. You got
1: all this new playground
0: to work with. Oh, god! And yeah. we were so waiting, man. I remember when Jedi finished and it was so depressing. And we're like, okay, when's the next one's coming, yeah, uh, I'm not gonna do it.
1: Well, this is what if somebody else does episode seven?
0: I don't think that'll happen. <laughs> no.
1: Well, that's all I got. God knows we could talk about Star Wars for five hours. Um,
0: We just recently, well, just recently, like a few weeks, last month, there was the Star Wars celebration. Mm -hmm. And the fact that there is just so much that came from this one movie. Books, video games, stage shows. So much. Burlesque shows.
1: Oh, yeah. Yeah. uh, Radio plays. Radio
0: plays. Records. Uh, TV specials. TV specials, virtual reality games, a hotel, a complete part of Disneyland. This is every aspect of humanity has been touched by Star Wars, Star Wars multivitamins, Star Wars cereal. Yeah, yeah. It is everywhere and everything. And something like that should just be destroyed by
1: now, but it's not. No. It's still great. There is something. You you touched on it earlier. There was, was something about this movie that everyone goes, I have to know everything. Yeah. Everything. Yeah. Like, I don't care. What, I'll see it 5,000 more times because I have to know everything. It
0: is so rare that one thing captures the entire world's attention. Yeah. And is it destroyed because of the popularity? Right. It just right. got bigger and better. Yeah. You know, say what you will about, yeah. you know, the, the post-Lucas era, <laughs> we, yeah.
1: which we'll talk wow. about. The, the post-original trilogy era?
0: Yeah. Sure. Look, you and I differ. And yeah. maybe because I worked for Lucas during the prequel trilogy. Sure. I really like the the prequel trilogy. I see what he was trying to do. And yeah. I get it. Out of the three, the first one's pretty thin in terms of stuff going on. But I say yes. the second one I absolutely love. I love the detective aspect of it sure. with uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi. And the third one, it's one of the best Star Wars movies out of all, all nine. Okay. Uh, the, the Mustafar uh, right. lightsaber battle, the way that it comes together. I get it. Watching it again later after all the hype, it just gets better. Yeah.
1: You yeah. know,
0: it's – it's it was funny. Watching Star Wars again, it had not been that I, – I think maybe two years ago I rewatched
1: everything. Yeah, you did. Yeah, yeah.
0: But I But I – this was the first time in a long time that I really paid attention and really watched it in a way – that I hadn't probably watched it since the beginning.
1: Right, right.
0: And it was like watching it for the first time again, finding yep. things that I hadn't seen after seeing it a thousand times. Yeah. And just being drawn in. Star Wars, this Star Wars, The New Hope, is a perfect movie. Yeah. And it, because we were talking about this, too. There is not like a B or C story. It's all A story. No. Everything flies towards A story. Even yeah. the little things all come together at all, the end. All
1: push towards that, that one goal.
0: Act one, act two, act three. Yeah. And it is
1: such a simplistic,
0: complicated, right, beautiful film that just starts and doesn't stop Yeah, until yeah. we blow up the Death Star at the end. And, and what was great about, and we'll talk about this with the movies coming up, mm-hmm. is he didn't do that. He, there's no way you could... Replicate that? No, you can't tell that same story because it's, this is the origin story. Yeah, yeah. It's basically an RPG. You got the the main character who picks up quest members along the way, and right. then they, they go for the quest. No the, side quests. There's that
1: goal, that end goal, yeah. right?
0: And he was so smart with Empire Strikes Back to split them off. Yeah, yeah. You know, because instead of having another rollicking adventure of all of them together, he needed to split them up and have them go their own paths to get them back together for Jedi. Right. It right. was a really well-crafted
1: trilogy. Oh, yeah, yeah. I, I think uh, a, a lot of it with capturing that imagination was the fact that because it is so simplistic and the, the plot line is not complicated... Of, of pushing through a young boy that becomes the savior of this universe. It's, I think that the, the thing that captured people's imagination is the fact that it lived inside that fully formed universe yes. so well. And it was a dirty universe. It was never explaining things in the universe. It was just like, this is the world we're in. You're going to catch up and you're going to follow.
0: And we didn't care because it, it, but that's, it, We but lived I think in that's, them, yeah.
1: I think that's why people were like, but, but I want to know. I want to know what that giant creature was. I want to know what right. that thing is that the Jawas were in. Exactly. I want to know how do they survive in those awful, stinky robes inside that <laughs> sand collar? Like you wanted <laughs> to know all these things. Exactly. And it wasn't shiny, bright, clean. No. It was no. dirty
0: and lived in and it, it, Gave the world building such depth with the fact that it wasn't some shiny thing right. on the hill. You know, it was this. Yeah. These planets were dirty. There were clean, oh, yeah. shiny planets, oh, yeah, too. yeah. But it's just, you're they, right. It got blown up. But just the little things. okay of course, I'm still But yeah, I mean, it's just like the little things in the background. And And again, we watched... We watch it on Disney Plus. I have the original DVDs, mm-hmm. and I have the blue. I have them all because yeah. I got them all from Lucas. Yeah, I even yeah. have the laser disc still. I don't have a means to play There's, it. Well, right, right, but I have them, uh, which I personally think is the absolute best version of right. the movies. Yes, yes, the yeah. Japanese laser disc uh, transfer. But uh, <laughs> <laughs> but with, I think they must have upped the the visuals on the 4K version. Yeah. Because it blends so well now. Like the new
1: stuff. The special edition
0: stuff looks so much better. It is so well integrated that it's fine. And all of the people that say he ruined your childhood. This guy, he's finally making the films he wanted to make. He didn't have the technology to get certain things that he wanted. So he he decided to do it. That's his prerogative. These aren't your films. These are his films.
1: Right, right. But everything he did in those special editions was to... Give more depth to that universe. Yes, none of it is like I'm going to change the plot. I, I, I mean, people could argue with Solo shooting first, but but at the same time, it's like he was just trying to expand that universe in his head. I you don't see this well formed of universe like I, the only real um, uh, uh, comparison comparison that I that I can think of is like Tolkien with. The Lord sure. of the Rings, where it's like, this is the world, and you're in it. Or Star Trek. I and think Star Trek Star, has become that. Yeah, Star Trek, yeah. I mean, even the original was kind of that way. Yeah, I, but but it's so rare. And yeah. it's like, and it for to be this two-hour movie that it's like, yep, here we go, and- it was such an amazing, and that's why I, I soured on the special editions at first, because I loved the original sure. so much. Yeah. But but I realized that it was, because he wanted to make it more the vision he had, he had in his head. Exactly. There were some things that he was
0: embarrassed about that, that he yeah. didn't like. You know, some mistakes that were in the film that he wanted to fix. And that's, look, that's his prerogative. This, yeah, yeah. I know that we collectively feel like we own these things that become so big and become oh, yeah. so important to us. Sure. And people lose their effing minds over this stuff. I mean, they lose. There is
1: nothing oh, I know. more toxic than toxic fandom. And it's disgusting. You want a good example of that, watch some reaction videos to the latest Mandalorian episode. Oh, God. I shouldn't say the latest. Episode 6. With, yeah. The, with the, the Jack Black Lizzo. Lizzo one, which one.
0: I loved. And I love seeing them. It has
1: been so divisive.
0: And the response that Lizzo gave about the fact that her father showed her these movies right. in reverence and that it was such a big deal to him and to her. Yeah. And that if he was still alive, how proud and amazed he would be that she's right. in this universe and how truly it magically it means to her. Right. And how F all of you, I mean she's amazing. She was fun in she it. She was she was she was great. Jack Black was fun. She was great. It was a fun episode and that's the thing. Star Wars is fun. Yeah. It's yeah. supposed to be fun. It's not supposed to be a dark, bleak. Yeah, there's dark it's stuff, but you know what? Sure, light sure. always prevails. That's literally the theme
1: of the entire yes. franchise. Dark light over darkness. <laughs> right. And so be light, people. It's, Don't be darkness. It's really awesome to see the newer stuff and seeing the sons and daughters of people that grew up on this. Oh, yeah. Like Katie Sackhoff getting her dad to come in and, like, sit inside a cockpit and, like, him just looking so giddy. Oh, my God. Because it was a dream come true. Yes. These new guys, Filoni
0: and uh, John, Favreau. John Favreau, these are the guys like me that just fell in love with Star Wars, fell in love with film and filmmaking and acting and everything was because their life changed when they saw that movie. My life changed when I saw that movie. That is not an overstatement. No, no. The toys. I played Star Wars for years, man. Oh, yeah. And it was just the biggest part of my life. I had all the comic books, all of the books, all of the things you could have. Talk about somebody who's just completely into it. I remember getting the Empire Strikes, Strikes Back comic book before the movie came out and having the whole Darth Vader thing spoiled for me <laughs> and being so upset that I would never buy another one again before that. But it meant so, so much to me. And as somebody as somebody who grew up in a, a, a difficult situation sometimes, mm-hmm. there was a comfort in Star Wars. Oh, yeah. There was a comfort in my figure, in my action figures. Yeah. And, and, and being able to escape... Into that world to get away, yeah, from the awful realities of life, save my life. Right. I would say, right, you know, right. and that's not hyperbole either. No, it's no, just, I would, yeah. There, it, there's a reason why it means so much to people, and it's not just a movie. No, no, it it's something else. Yeah, and yeah. that's it. There's times when certain things transcend what they are and become a juggernaut or yeah. I don't know how to explain it. They become a yeah. completely
1: a yeah. world event
0: or. Yeah. Yeah. They changed the
1: fabric of society in a way, yeah. you know, it changed filmmaking. It's, it's, it's every once in a while you get these movies that create these cultural shifts. Yes. And, that's yes. And it's, and it's just incredible to be able to be a part of that. And to, I mean this, these movies, especially the first one made me realize that I wanted to tell stories. Yeah like that was I was like this I want to do that. Yeah. I want to tell a story about some kid that is going to be the savior of the universe, yeah. you know? I mean like that's it, it's like wow, you can do that? Okay. Right. Yeah. And it's
0: I mean as much as I loved the the Ray Harry has and Sinbad movies and yeah. and Jason of the Argonauts and yeah. this was the first movie I think that I wanted to live in that world. Yes. Yes. That world was so defined and so cool that yeah. I I just wanted to live in it and go to this different Planets and that my own spaceship, right, right. you know, and fly around <laughs> on the Millennium Falcons. It's just—I uh, am so, so happy good. that we're doing yeah. these movies this month because uh, it, they were so important to me. And mm-hmm. and and doing watching this movie again and doing this episode just kind of reinvigorated that that love that I had. Right. That I just—I never—I've never faltered. You know, on my Star Wars love. Oh yeah, yeah. But
1: uh same. I mean, even with my general dislike of the prequel trilogy, I still love the entire series. Yeah. I mean, you know, I mean, it's still every ep- not every episode of every Star Wars show is going to be great, and, and I'll dislike some of them, but sure. that doesn't dim my view of Star Wars at all. No, the Star Wars holiday special <laughs> didn't ruin everybody. <laughs> <laughs> it should have. <laughs> but just we'll, we'll definitely talk about yeah, that next week.
0: But the, you know, the
1: the animations come from it, you know, all of the different oh shows. The and, books. The yeah. books. I was the saddest day for me was when Disney bought uh all you know, ILM and and all the rights to all this stuff. Yeah. And then they essentially went, Yeah, all that stuff you guys you guys read about, yeah, it doesn't matter anymore. And there were such good stories, and it's and it's. This is why I really love Dave Filoni and John Favreau because they're pulling those some of those characters, non canonical characters, back into the canonical timeline. Admiral Thrawn, uh, who is the is, is the new big bad heir to the empire, is the greatest trilogy series I've ever read. Yeah, yeah, Roman. it is great. God, it's so. There
0: good. is such. Read some of the books. Wow, you know, so get good. yourself some books if you love Star Wars. You can do anything. You can. Look, the Lego Star Wars game was amazing. There's a new Star Wars game that just came out that's probably great. We'll we'll probably do a little bit on it. Starring Anthony Daniels. We could do a 10-hour show just on Star Wars. I know, I know. And and we will. So buckle up, babies. (laughs) (laughs) But look, this is going to be such a fun month and such a month of joy. Yeah. And that's the truth about it. Is this yeah. is joy. This movie was joy. The reason why people went to see it five, six
1: times in a row, they would literally, just re really buy the ticket. Literally getting out and getting back in line exactly. to go buy for the next. Yeah.
0: Because it is a rock.
1: It's just a rollicking adventure
0: where the good guys win yeah. and the bad guys are bad and the good guys are good. And you got Hansel who's kind of in the middle, but he's, not, he's not always going to be the good guy. You know, he's going to do the right thing.
1: Poor Chewie not getting his medal. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, that's the one thing, but still, still. That bugged me the day I saw the movie yeah, as a yeah. child.
1: What? Up until this Why? day.
0: Why? Why would he not get a medal? And you know what, George? In your stupid special edition, you could have should CGI'd it, a damn medal, a medal, on a medal on his thing, on yeah. his chest. On his che- yeah. Just give Chewie a damn
1: medal. Yeah. Well. All right, <laughs> Medal or not, he, he doesn't. I. But that's the thing, is that in my head, I immediately go, well, maybe maybe it's the in the Wookiee culture that they don't accept these kind of baubles and things. Maybe? You know? I mean, maybe that's not their thing. Maybe they're racist. I'm, I'm justifying <laughs> for the franchise. That's how much I love it. <laughs> it's true. It's true.
0: Uh, it, that's the other thing that's really fun is people just make stuff up to fill in the gaps. And, yeah. you know, the cosplay, the people's costumes that they oh, put oh out. Oh, God. It's, it's incredible. It's insane. I mean, this is uh,
1: – there is a – Jediism is a literal religion yeah. now. Yeah. Yeah. A movie created a religion. I uh, – a good friend of mine growing up had a kid, and her name is Jedi. Okay. He named his kid Jedi. I don't know if I agree with that, but that's okay. That's cool. I mean, look. She's awesome. She's a cool kid. Jedi.
0: I'm sorry. That is a cool
1: name. (laughs) Especially with all the other It's weird. I won't disagree. It's weird. But hey, man, he loves
0: Star Wars. Well, and people are going to think that name's pretty cool. Yeah. Like, if I met a Jedi, I would be like, you got the coolest damn name. You (laughs) won. Your name is Jedi (laughs) Windy. All
1: right. Well, we'll be back next week with uh, Empire Strikes Back. Oh, yeah. So excited. I have not seen Empire Strikes Back in such a long time. I'm so excited to watch it
0: again. Yeah. So get yourself some movies. Watch Star Wars. Get caught up with Star Wars and Empire Strikes Back. But also... Watch the shows. Watch the cartoons. They're fun. They're so much fun. If you missed out on the Clone Wars cartoons yeah. or the Star Wars Rebels cartoons, watch those. Because yeah. Dave Filoni filled in the gaps. And he essentially, with the Clone Wars, completely rounded out that right. trilogy into something right. that is much more meaty than it actually was. Yeah. All right. <laughs> we'll see you next week. Yes. He and Coppola had hired Lucas to do some... Construction work Right On the zoetrope No, hired Ford Who did I say? Lucas Sorry <laughs>
1: uh, <laughs> I don't hold a hammer
0: Carrie Fisher's m- pseudo-autobiography Jesus uh, Carrie Fisher's pseudo-autobiography Right We now return you to your regularly scheduled program Square Pins, Already in progress